October. I hope everybody is doing wonderful and delicious. We're just going to get right into it. No long rant or story. Uh, my next guest is the great drummer, percussionist, Cajon master, the guy who basically <laughs> introduced all of New York City to it, right? Let's be real. Let's be real. Check the record books. Mr. Ryan Vaughn. Recently, uh, the past three years, he's been in LA and he has transformed himself into a music business mogul fascinating fascinating podcast three-part kind of act one is kind of uh his trip to new york his years in new york then we take a pee break because we drank a lot of coffee and seltzer we get into what he's doing in la right now and the third act is like his future it's amazing he played drums on the track i'm going to play you in right now shake it off by the great teddy geiger and then um I'll see you at the finish line. Please enjoy. This is a fascinating one. I'm recording the intro for the first time right after tracking it. I don't have to run out of this. This would go to some session or rehearsal right now. I'm psyching. I'm buzzing from the great podcast. This is an amazing one. I think I think there's... I told Ryan that I need to go back and listen to this and learn all about the things he talked about, about publishing and mechanicals. Dude, guys. Listen to this podcast. This is amazing. Ryan, thank you for taking the time. Hope everybody is well. Check it out, Ryan Vaughn. When the sun goes down and the stars grow bright, we can light a fire, we can light up wherever we go. Wherever we Disconnect from the world outside I turn off our minds Keep our eyes wide Wherever we go
We'll do it live. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> uh, you ever seen Almost Famous? Well, to begin with, everything. <laughs> That's how you want to. You start. know where they finally get to interview Russell at the end of the, at the, end of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, so tell me, uh, do you have to be sad to write a sad song? You have to be happy to write a ha- happy song. He's like, when did you get so? When did you get so professional? <laughs> well, to begin with, everything. That makes sense because I was reading the stuff you sent me and I was like, bro, this is like. This is a 20-hour podcast. Like, I was like, you know, I try to do, like, one and a half to two, you know? Like, I saw oh, your yeah, shit. Yeah. I was like, is he serious? I'm, I've, I mean, I've got nothing but time. But we, no, do we, we can do the, uh, the abridged version. Well, here we are. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, in the studio, live and real, taking time out of his incredibly busy life by coastal motherfucking legend as devotion. Is it, like, I'm in a movie quote mood. It's like... Mm, that's some good shit. Uh, dude, I knew I had to get you good shit. <laughs> Where'd you get this? So at this... Dude, they used to have Stumptown, too. At this s- soccer spot next door, they have... I'm so white, dude. It's Devotion, but it's like the Columbia... Devotion? Do you know that, Ben? I don't know. Anyway, it's Ryan Vaughn here. I'm psych, <laughs> drummer, percussionist, cajon master, business extraordinaire in New York. He's got his... Dodgers hat on too, bro. You're <laughs> you're letting everybody know. I had, to, I had to bring the LA today. Do you wear the Yankees hat in New York? In I'm LA? not a Yankees fan. Uh, or Mets. You have Mets shit. That's right. I mean, we got in. You know, hanging out with Martin Revis, Brian Colleen. Like, I you naturally become a Mets fan. And I always was a closeted Dodgers fan. Like, I grew up going to Angel games and Dodger games. Yeah. And as a redhead, I was very. Uh, <laughs> Uh, adverse to wearing the red baseball hat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I was like, I guess I'm a Dodgers fan. And then I moved out here, and I had a Dodgers hat for a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's like the, the they were from Brooklyn. It's cool. Yes, that is true. That is true. And I was like, uh, and then you know, started going to Mets games with the homies. And then, you know, I have a, uh, I don't have a Mets hat, but I have a Foo Fighters Mets hat because yes, they did do. the ballpark tour, right? And they printed swag in all of the ballpark team's colors and emblems. So I have, like, the blue and orange Foo Fighters Mets hat. My business partner in L.A., uh, a gentleman by the name of Caleb Shreve, who was a New Yorker for a long time, He's uh, has a studio. We have a management company called Killphonic. Mm-hmm. He's a staunch Mets fan, like, fucking Mets shit everywhere. Uh, Amanda Brown is one of our management clients. Also, former New Yorker is a. She's from the Bronx, so she is an avid Yankees fan, so. and she'll she'll come in and she'll like take Instagram videos and then like plaster like Yankee stickers <laughs> over all the Mets memorabilia. That's <laughs> a fun ongoing dance that we make. It runs deep. Do you find that people who move out of New York too have to like almost embrace that more? Right? Like they're like you know now. My friend did out there, he's like so into the Knicks now. I'm like, no one in New York is into the Knicks. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, why are you into it's the just Knicks? just like you're letting people know that you're from the <laughs> yeah, East it's Coast. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> like, I'm a big time Knicks fan. Like, oh, no I, one here is. Yeah, no one there is either. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I, feel, I feel like I see a lot of Mets swag. I don't, the Yankees thing is weird. Like, if the Yankees are playing the Dodgers, like, there was a game not too long ago, the Yankees are playing the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium, and it was like, all of a sudden, all the Yankees gear came out. Like, everyone is decked in Yankees shit, and you're just like, oh, <laughs> cool. That makes sense. That makes sense. The Yankees Roadshow, they go out, 
I mean, they sell the most tickets, like always. And uh, LA is full of New Yorkers. Yeah, I get it. I yeah, get it. Lots of lots of. Uh, but I do closeted like, Yankee fans. Closeted Yankee fans. But I do like. Actually, I feel like that was even from you. That I was like, yeah, I've lived in Queens for so long now. I. I was raised a Yankees fan, but I kind of feel a. You want to root for the underdog? I like I was here dog. when they went to the World Series. I, I remember coming home from a gig, and uh, Paul's wonderful space is across the street from my old apartment. So, Amazing, which is right off the train. And I remember coming up in uh, that uh, gastro pub. I don't know what it is now. I didn't even look. There was like a bar right there on the corner of. Steinway and 34th. Um, I'd just come out of the train, run in, and like, you know, they'd have like 37 television screens showing the World Series and be like, it's just everyone just like bleeding Mets. Yeah. It was, it was so cool. It was like, how could you not get caught up in that fervor? How can you not get into it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel a little ashamed of the Yankees. The Yankees are weird, dude. Playing, but... Martin, playing with Martin Revis at the Red Lion, and like, he would have, uh, it was Dave, was the manager for a long time. Um, and he would have there. He got them to put a TV, like right here. <laughs> like, oh, right, no one can see that. Like, like so, like he would be sitting on the stage, and there'd be a TV that just faced the stage. No one can see this TV. Just, and they would, they put so on Mets games for Martin. Martin, you can watch the Mets <laughs> while he's playing. <laughs> he's like playing. It's like, like he's just so good. You have no idea. He's really just watching the Mets game. Oh man, that's super funny. And you know who else does that one? Is Mayo. Oh, I've been on a gig and Mayo's like I. It's like he hasn't even thought about the music. He's just watching. He's, he's got like an iPad up and it's really just <laughs> he's streaming. The Yankees. I'm like this motherfucker. Like what? <laughs> yeah, no. It's a test. It's a testament to like how talented they are. It's yeah, like, I know. You're, like this is so second nature to you that you can like read the paper, watch a baseball game, think about what you're doing tonight, and still crush. And just like oh, yo, here's my harmony. Here's oh, the, hold, hold, yeah, hold, hold on. I got to sing lead on this. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you, this is your like your whole thing is so legendary, like New York. Like you're, it's a who's who of this era. You know what I mean? It's like you played with everybody. I got lucky. I uh, yeah, I moved here 2004. I graduated high school 2001. I decided to go to a community college in Arizona because yes. they had the best music program. Uh, and I was kind of headhunted out of high school by the director of the program. Oh. And um, so he convinced me to go to this school. Like, I had full rides to all the in-state universities just on academic accolades. Like, I, I was at the top of my class. And, like, in Arizona, if you're in the top, like, 5% of your graduating class, you pretty much get offered full rides to all, all three in-state universities, Northern Arizona University, Arizona State University, and uh, University of Arizona. And so I was like, oh, I don't want to go to any of those big universities. And then Fred Forney, who's this incredible trumpet player, educator, was just like, yo, baby, come come down to Mesa Community College. Like, that's where yeah. it's at. He's like, you can study with all the cats and, like, kind of choose your own adventure. And uh, I was like, fuck it. Cool. Yeah, I'm in. Like, I just want to play. Like, I had quit uh, my senior year of high school. I was, like, always, like, the obnoxious academic where I was like, I'm just going to see how many, like, impossible classes I can take like really? taking yeah. early birds and t staying after school to take classes on top of doing marching band and drumline and jazz band and trying to do all the extracurricular activities key club and student council and like trying to get into the honor society and uh, so doing all these different things and putting together this resume so I could go to like Stanford and be a lawyer or you know Harvard and 
whatever. Uh, that was your I, original intention. I mean, that's yeah. what I thought I had to do, and that was like my uh, family's yeah. like, "Oh, you're so smart. You have red hair. You're going to be. You're going to be like a scientist." And it's like, come to find out, I hate science. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm just bad at it. Like, yeah. like, yeah, like memorization was never my thing. Um, it was. Oh, it's always been challenging. But like math has always been really easy. So like you know I'm good at chemistry and physics. I'm really bad at biology. But yeah, I, I got into all the AP classes in my senior year of high school. I was just like, what am I doing? And I was I will say my parents are wonderful, and they're just like, what are you doing? Like, you're you hate this shit. Like, you clearly like playing the drums. You should do that. You should do your and thing. So like yeah. halfway through my senior year, I was like, they're right. Yeah. So I dropped all my AP classes. Took like the remedial shit, so I could just focus on playing. Decided I was going to go to a community college, and everyone thought I was like throwing my life away. Like, what are you doing? Like, uh, of course, yeah. you're not taking the AP classes. You're not taking the full rides. You're like going to go get an apartment to go to community college instead. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, I, I really like playing the drums. Like, I really like playing the drums. I think I want to do this. And so I did it, and um, did the three years at the in Phoenix at. Mesa Community College which is like on the border of Mesa and Tempe, but it's like there's like 50,000 students at this school. It's the feed, main feeding school for Arizona State. It's a huge university then. It's a huge community college, yeah. Totally. And like two years into it, it's, you know, two, community colleges are generally two-year schools. Two-year schools, It's an associate yeah. degree. Mm-hmm. So I got through the first two years, and I was just like, I applied to a bunch of schools, and Cal Arts was at the top of my list. I got in, but no one graduated. None of the drummers graduated, so they, they only take like eight drummers. For the whole program, it's two drummers per class. But there was a weird anomaly, and no one graduated. Mm-hmm. So they're like, man, like you were like one of the two we were going to accept, but we can't accept you. Like There's no room. So try again next year. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, uh, kind of put all my eggs in that basket. <laughs> yeah, you were like, <laughs> I was like, uh, well, fuck it. I'll stay. Another, I'll do a third year at community college. I'll finish multiple associate degrees. And I'll have like a music uh, associates of general business and associates of music performance, or I guess it's associate of the arts. Yeah. Um, it's like fuck it. I'll do all that. I'll just keep gigging around town, and I'll I'll, I'll do the responsible thing and apply to more than one school. Um, so I applied to Arizona State, and I was like, I'll just go get a business degree and keep playing around town. I was already like subbing for all the top cats. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, they were all encouraging me to leave, like go to L.A. or New York, and I had this like mentor. In high school, they started a jazz camp in my hometown of Prescott, Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's spelled Prescott, but we're all redneck, it's, it's so all we say Prescott. Prescott. Yep. Um, so there were all these like wonderful teachers, and this guy named Perry Sen, who was a drummer in Phoenix, and he went to this school called William Patterson University, and he's like, "Hey, man, like just." Let me just slide this in here. He's like, when you're considering jazz school, I was like, you should really check out William Patterson. He's mm-hmm. like, it's 20 miles west of Manhattan. Like, uh, Thad Jones started the program. Rufus Reed made it a thing. And it's just like a really positive environment to go to jazz school. It's a public school. Like, you're, just, you're not going to pay Manhattan school prices. Smart. I was like, Fuck it. I'll, on a f- whim, I'll send out uh, an application to William Patterson, Arizona State. And I think I reapplied to CalArts. I was just like pretty unmotivated at that point to apply to more colleges. And then I got a phone call. I remember it was... It was it came out like a weird time. It was like I just got out of a... Like in Arizona, the church gig was the thing. So like it, it's like a, it's really confusing to people because it's a, like a... Not like the contemporary... Christian music that we all know is like the church gig stuff. It was like contemporary Catholic music. So it was like the scene of like the, the teen life movement and all these like they were trying to encourage the youths 
to stay in the Catholic Church by providing like modern liturgy that was pop music influenced like the CCM stuff. Matt Marr actually was playing in these churches. Matt Marr wins the Grammy like every year yeah. for CCM stuff. So I was like, I'm subbing on those gigs. He was like a, a worship leader at one of the churches, one of the they're Catholic churches, but like it was, I could Just, work Saturday and Sunday and it paid all of my bills. It was incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. So I think I got home from like four masses and I usually take a nap before I would go back to like te- to play teen mass. I got a phone call from this guy. His name was James Williams. He's like a famous piano player, played with like I think Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, and he was like the figurehead. You know, every school has like the, the guy, guy who actually does the administrative stuff, and like then like the guy who everyone wants to go and be around. You think you're going to get to hang out with this dude all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So James Williams, he's like he's had this like beautiful like sexy baritone voice. He's like Ryan, <laughs> like you know, I just want to call you, and congratulate you. You've been accepted in the music program, and we're going to give you a full ride. And I was like, oh my god, what? I guess I'm going to the East Coast and. That was the like late spring of 2004, and then I like packed up all my shit and got got in a car, like bought a car and drove cross cross country for the first time, and like rolled into New Jersey on my 21st birthday, like pulled into William Patterson, and that was the beginning. It was 2004. Uh, I had saved a bunch of money, so I was like, I'm just going to go to the city. You know, it's, it's scary. I'd been to New York before. Yeah. There's the uh, IAJE, the International Association of Jazz Education, does yes. conferences. And so they have, like, a weird division for community colleges. So I made, like, they had, like, an all-star band, and I, I made the band a couple times. And I got to go to, like, the first time was I got to go to Toronto, which was cool. I'd never been to Canada. I got to go to New York for the first time. Uh, and that was when I was in community college, and it was like, it was, you know, it's oh, your first time in New York. You're like, oh my God, like we flew in the Newark and took a cab and like stayed in Midtown. And like, Ooh. I remember, uh, uh, this is so out, uh, a buddy of mine from Arizona, you might know, Steve Himmelstein. You know of Steve? course I know Steve, yeah. So Steve was, I, I he came. He was in this band with you? I don't think he, I don't you remember if he was in the band or not. In New York? I think he came with us. He's like, I'm going to fly in and just like do the hang. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, we know we knew each other from Arizona. We were playing in Arizona, so he came out and he's like, oh, I'm, "We're gonna go take this. I'm gonna go take this lesson." But like, I can like, if you want to throw in, we can like take a joint lesson with this drummer. Uh, I'm totally blanking on his name, but we went like Ari like, Hoing or something. No, like that, no, no, like, no. But like, kind of like like under like like an un- underappreciated like jazz drummer in that world. Um, Jim Black. I wish. No, 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 no. Um, I was, was trying to name super hip yeah, modern yeah. drummers. He was a little yeah. older. And, like, I was, like, contemporary with those guys, but didn't have, like, the, like, underground accolades that they did. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he was just, like, you go in, he's like, yeah, cool. So, uh, you know the melody to all the things you are, right? Cool. So, like, sing the melody in four and then play in five. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> You're 21. What? You're like, I was like, what? Uh, you know, when we weren't, we weren't in the East Coast thing on the West Coast. Like, so we were just... We were learning how to make a living, which was really cool. Uh, that's just why I'm so gracious. Like, the, I can go on and on about Mesa Community College, but like the that's where all these like rules of three came from. Like, I feel like a lot of people t- like like I heard it from you, and I was like, well, I, I got it from my college professors. It was like you know the music, the money, and the hang. Yep. Any two out of the Classic. three, you take the gig. Yep. Or like, um, uh, if you can show up on time, be prepared and be cool. And be cool. You'll work for the rest of your life, and yep. you'll be surprised at how many people can't do. Three out of three. three out most of people three. have two out of three, but most people can't do three out of three. And they're like, if you can do all three, like you will never have a problem finding work. 
Pretty true, yes. So they taught us how to make a living, man. I was like subbing for all the main cats, you know, and they're like throwing you in these like like high pressure situations. I remember took, like I subbed like got the Guy Lombardo band, which is like a, a, a namesake at this point. Like Guy Lombardo's not in the band, but like his brother was running the band and there was like a New Year's gig and I was just really green out of high school and they threw me on the gig and I had to, like buy a tuxedo. So essentially like like get my parents to loan me, you know, five hundred dollars to buy a tuxedo. And I was like, the gig's gonna pay for the tuxedo, I'll pay you back. But I need a tuxedo for the gig. <laughs> and, like, I, I remember, like, I did such a bad job because I was just not prepared yeah. for this, like, crusty old dude from the East Coast. And he's, like, uh, you know, after the fact, like, years later, they're, like, yeah, he tried to fire you. We talked him out of it. And, like, he ended up really liking you by the end of the gig. And it was, it was, it was a lot of, like, real-life experiences like that that most yeah. kids don't get in college, mm-hmm. especially in music school. Especially in super competitive New York or L.A., you know? Totally. So, like, making a living and subbing and playing corporate gigs. You know, uh, Phoenix is notorious for, like, the year-round corporate gigs. So getting to play in wedding bands and, like, actual corporate functions and church gigs and getting all this real-life experience, reading charts, reading lead sheets, reading piano scores, like... Uh, you know, our the first day of class, amongst all the rules of three, like our professor just starts writing like different uh, verbs on the board, and it's like you know, copyist, uh, uh, arranging, orchestrating, teaching, um, playing, like all these different things. Like he probably has like thirty things on the board, and he's like, "What do these all have in common?" And I was like, "I don't, I don't know." He's like, "That's what I do to make a living." Like, I don't, Every yeah. one of them. Yeah. Like I don't just play the trumpet. I don't just teach you knuckleheads. He's like, I do all these other things. Uh, and he's like, that's what you have to do if you want to make a living. And he's like, I make a, I make six figures. He's like, I work my butt off, and this mm-hmm. is what I have to do. And so you need to do all these things. So he made us take arranging classes and composition classes and this is a brilliant music, business classes yeah. and like you know and like made us go see shows and like made us do all these things and so. To create a really well-rounded modern musician. Yeah, this is totally. a brilliant educator. All so right. we, ha- we have all these skills. You know, I do the IJA conference. I come to New York. Like, I have this, like, terrifying experience of taking the train to the village with Steve Himmelstein to take this, <laughs> like, ridiculous lesson heady, that I'm not prepared for. Heady lesson. With, like, a like, heavy, like, oh yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, really, like, brilliant. Like, he's, like, smoking cigarettes in his apartment in a leather jacket. Like, you know, like, you, you got to pay up front, kids. Like, it's, it's 80 bucks each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you know? give me the cash. He's like, all right, cool. All so right, I'm going to destroy you. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, oh, holy shit. And I'm like, you know, uh, flash forward, I pull into New Jersey. I'm in William Patterson. I have a little bit of savings. of like, I'm just going to go to the city every night and see all my heroes. And uh, that's kind of how it started, man. And like, it, I mean, it's just like a series of coincidences that become this like epic story that is like, you know, our scene that we came up with. Yeah. You know I mean? I could go on and on like story by story. It's like I, the, 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 the fun ones, like... Uh, I decided to like I'm gonna reinvent myself. I'm no longer gonna be like like the nerdy like bookworm. I'm gonna be like the cool guy who was like you know you know mentoring all these young kids because I was a transfer student and all these uh, I'm, I come into William Patterson as a transfer student and a a, a wave of musicians had just graduated. Mm-hmm. So all these like frosh come in like all these freshmen. Uh, this will be fun. So there's like these three piano players that you probably won't know that were there: Josh Richman, Justin Coughlin, and Angelo Versace. And, like, Justin ended up being the the, uh, the protagonist in the uh, Keep On Keeping On documentary that Alan Hicks made about Clark Terry. Okay. So, like, Justin's, like, the blind piano player from Virginia. But, that, that like, that entire documentary is about my time at William Patterson, like, the two years we were there. The golden era of Willie P, man. We were just well, talking about this. Yeah, yeah. So, just before me was actually, like, I would probably call the golden era. It was, like... Like, 
the, the graduating class was Josh Dion, Tyshawn Sori, Mark Juliana, uh, Dan Heinemann, Brian Colleen, Pat Firth, Sarah Vispril, the Josh Dion band. The Josh Dion band. Um, there were a bunch of other cats in there. Uh, Curtis, what's his name? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, like that whole crew was at Willie P. And, like they left the spring that I got accepted. And, I showed up in the fall. Cohen is he right in that era? One class. Avishai, the trumpet player, had nothing to do with it. So Brian Colleen was taking oh, bass lessons that. with Avishai Cohen, the uh, bass player. The bass player. That's and right. like they started, they started hanging out, and Avishai would come and do sessions, and Brian could clean up with the story. I might be fudging it, but he would come and teach and hang out with Brian and then met Mark and uh, Jeff Taylor and uh, yeah, Jeff was part of that class Jeff, Jeff Taylor, Taylor. Da- uh, Dan Heinemann incredible guitar player if you don't know him has a great band called uh, Pure, Bathing Culture Pure Bathing Culture with his yes. lady Sarah Vesprill. Um but yeah they uh, uh, this uh, you know, they had so a, they graduated like a secret rock and then band you were there yeah yeah so kind of they, they were still hovering in and out like they would yeah. come and hang out and um you know, we would go see Mark at a band called uh, Hirnt with Sam Barsh and Zach. I'm sorry, Zach. I'm blanking on his last name. But, like, they had this, like, cool trio, and Mark would play, like, typewriter and drums. and Zach Neil, Neil Pers- Yeah, yeah. Fancy Colors guy? Fancy Colors Zach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Persiani, uh, a.k.a. Uh, he's in uh, DNCE. Uh, I've always forget his stage name. But... Uh, just incredible band. He's just a, yeah. That, you're naming all super heavy cats. Yeah, yeah. He's they're just, all yeah. just like playing. I remember they're playing the C note, and we would go and hang out at the C note and fucking like <laughs> watch Kiernt and be like, oh my god, Mark Juliana is so good. And the place on East East Tenth on in uh, Avenue C. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like the hang. That was the hang. Yes. And in I, that era, 2003, 2004. Yes. So in back in Arizona, uh, there was a bass player, Dwight Killian, <laughs> who was from Denver. He was really good friends with this trumpet player named Shane Ensley, mm-hmm. who has a band called Kneebody. Yes. And so Kneebody. Shane did a, a, a workshop at Mesa Community College, and we exchanged emails. And I was like, hey, I'm moving to New York. He's like, drop me a line. He was, he's the nicest cat. So I hit him up, and he's like, I was like, hey, man, like, where do, what do I do? Where do I go? And he's like, uh, you know... Man, shit's so jive, shit's so whack. Like, <laughs> like the only cool shit's happening like the C note, and uh, you know, if you're into like the singer songwriter shit, I would say go to the living room. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. So like, I moved here, and I was just like, oh, I'm gonna be cool, and I'm gonna like, I'm not gonna be this like like dork. So uh, we started going to the jazz standard all the time, and just like blowing through my savings, but like hanging out, like you know, Brian Blade and the Maria Schneider Orchestra, and like. <laughs> No, all of our heroes. Like you grow up yes. like worshiping Group these records. Checking these out, yeah. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're in New York. Like, what the hell? They're right there. Twenty yeah. bucks yeah. And, a, and like in a beer. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So hanging out the jazz standard all the time. So I start befriending the staff. And so there was like a, a lovely young woman there that like I was like had a crush on. So like I, you know, I was like, let's go on a date. And she's like, sure. So we start hanging out, and uh, we ended up just becoming friends. But I remember I took her to the living room. And I was like, uh, I was like, oh, so I think I followed up with Shane. I was like, so, C note or the living room for a date? And he's like, the living room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we go to the living that makes room. Sense. Yeah. Uh, this had to be the fall of 2004, and I'm like checking out the site. And it's like, I don't know these people. Spooky Ghost, never heard of them. Was it was Jerry? Uh, um, it's an incredible guitar player for like Suzanne Vega, and it's uh, like his stage name. Uh, forget his uh but it's incredible shit so we go there yeah he's playing we i'm we're running late 
we get there, uh, pay to go in. It's like, oh, he missed this set. We'll stay for this next artist, some some singer songwriter named Jill Stevenson. So like, oh hang out God, and I, I watch it, and I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I want to play with that. Like that's the shit. That was the changing moment. I, like, I don't want to be a jazz musician. Yeah. So I hang out. I approach Jill after the set, and I was like, "Hey, like I love your stuff. Like I would love to play with you." And she's like, "Oh, cool. What do you play?" I was like, "Drums." She's like, "Yeah, I don't need a drummer." It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> uh, and she's like, "Do you play percussion?" I was like, "Totally." <laughs> <laughs> yes, right answer. Uh, yeah, and she's like, "Cool. Yeah. Uh, here, take my email." Um, hit me up and uh, let's do like a rehearsal, and that and I was like, oh my god, I got my gig right there. This is my big break. Yeah, and uh, I did study percussion in Arizona. Like my drum instructor, it was a mandated. You had to learn all of the Latin percussion stuff because he's like, to be a good drum set player, you have to know what not to play. So yeah. I actually did this stuff. But like right before I left Arizona, I was subbing on this church gig uh, up in like North North Phoenix, up in Cave Creek. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a really high-end church gig and there was this guy Dave Lansett who was like a notorious like figure of the Phoenix scene like he's uh, like an am- like an amazing singing drummer like 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 Dion-esque levels Dion. like just could never could like front a band and- yeah like incredible singer incredible drummer could play and sing and like mm. very R&B like, like neo soul kind of vibe awesome um, so he was always like mentoring me and he was on this gig and he convinced them to buy this like bass cajon and he played it his own way he didn't he wasn't a percussionist but he just heard shit differently than everybody else and he was playing I was like oh that's so cool he's like you do it like I'm gonna go sing and so I was like oh that's cool so I get the arrows uh to New Jersey I'm, I'm like trying to play with Jill Stevenson she doesn't want a uh drummer she, she wants a percussionist so I just start bringing a fucking practice conga and like playing I go and I play with her and she's like oh this is cool like this is so weird and different like I've got a residency at the Red Lion every Tuesday from 7 to 10 and I usually like haven't like find a friend to open at that time it was um Liz oh wow so many brain farts it was Liz your memory on this is incredible though no, this is not brain farts you're nailing all these names yeah, like yeah. men uh, uh, she was amazing too. She was part of like, yeah, she was part of like the Brooklyn scene. Oh, it'll come back to me. But Liz was the opener, and then Jill would play from like eight thirty to ten, right? And yes. so that was like the beginning of the red line hangs. So and this like, is not like oh six oh seven ish, maybe. This is still this is like two thousand and five. Five. So this is early in your. And your I was like, tenure, I need yeah. to do something different. This practice conga thing is. A, I look like a joke, so I, I, which I, is just the head, right? It's like yeah, a yeah. giant coaster. It's the Giovanni Hidalgo yeah, practice like, conga. I'm like yeah. showing up with that and like <laughs> trying to make it look cool, and I just like a look like a goofy like, white kid from fuck, Arizona. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for my first credit card. I remember this was a JetBlue Amex card. I got approved for like a thousand dollars, and I was like, I'm buying this fucking box. The that, best that dude Cajon I could buy. Yeah, it was like a yeah, it was like a five hundred dollar. Base Cajon, the Bajo Cajon from Fat Congas, and it was that was just the only brand I was familiar with. I didn't know they were like the like the best Cajon makers at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just like, uh, guitar. It's on a Guitar Center website. That's what I know. That's what I trust this name. Fuck yeah. it. Get it. Put it on a credit card. I have no money at this point. I've just been hemorrhaging cash, going and networking and seeing shows and. And then I start bringing that and start, like, trying to figure that shit out. And, like, how do I make this my own and do my own thing? And, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a base cajon. It's fucking huge. And it's, it's bigger than your normal one. Oh, yeah. It's, like, 
twice the size, but it has like really? all low okay. end. Oh, so it sounds. But no Great. snares, so yeah, like, no like I'm so I start hitting it with brushes and like bringing shit and. Um, and you would do like one brush and one mm-hmm. rod-ish thing sometimes too, right? Yeah, steel brush. Like I I yeah. break cajones constantly yes. because yes. I beat the shit out of them. <laughs> so I remember like I'm doing this with Jill and it's starting to become a thing and like. And she's into it. You're doing red line. She's into it. I uh, so like there's like a two different stories that happen simultaneously. I remember. So when I got Dolian Patterson, all, the new class that started with me, not the guys that had left, but like. Two of the first people I met was this freshman guitar player and his older brother who was starting his graduate degree, Jay and Alex Foote. Yes. And so, like, we become homies, and, like, <laughs> I remember Jay's like, where do you go every night? And I was like, dude, I'm going to, I go to the city and, like, hang out, and the red line is like, shoot, I got to get me, I got to get me a singer-songwriter, too. <laughs> and so he starts going out, and, like, he's, like, going and seeing singer-songwriter shows. He's like, dude, I got one, I got one. Can, can we, can you ask Jill? If she can open for her at the Red Lion, I was like, sure, yeah, totally. Yeah, and she's, of course. she's like, hey guys, this is Rebecca Haviland. Uh, Rebecca, this is Ryan and Jill. And so Rebecca starts playing the seven o'clock oh slot. Oh my god! Okay. And it's like, and then like, you know, and Jay's playing upright bass, and Rebecca's still doing like her. She was doing R and B keys, right? Yes, yeah, like a Nora Jonesy thing where she's like yep. playing keys and singing, and it's like, it's, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like, <sighs> like it's different than Nora, but like that's the closest analogy I can give, but. She like had just a little more power. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Rebecca. Dude, she's got this like ridiculous voice, voice yeah. and she's a wonderful piano player. So that hang starts happening. Uh, and through like, that's how I get start meeting all the Purchase kids, right? Yep. The Paul Madisons, the uh, Adam Chris Gows, the Gows. Um, and then like one thing leads to another, and like I meet Chris Gow, and like he's, you know, doing his thing, and he's like, I, I'm just, I'm getting too busy. I need to offset some gigs. Mm-hmm. He's like, it gives my name to Greg Mayo to start something in the Greg Mayo band, and mm-hmm. that's how I met Greg and Chris Anderson and uh, Kenny Warren. Everybody. And Kenny like, Warren, yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, like uh, Matt Abatelli, and uh, I'm trying to think who else was playing with him at that time. Matt Simons. A Simon little later, wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't in that first iteration. No, it was... Uh, uh, it's uh, funny to think that I met Matt as this, like, shredding tenor player. Yeah, yeah, sax <laughs> <No>. player. <laughs> <laughs> now he's, like, a sensitive songwriter singing songs like about a, feelings. Yeah, R&B, like, celebrity piano player <laughs> singer, you know? Like, you could really do that thing. You're like, what? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that was, like, how, like, that yes, whole Tuesday culture started. Red and Lion. It, it turned into, like, you know... Abby Payne was playing that gig. So we brought in Abby, and yep. then Kaylin Garrity started playing. Like, Jill turned Kaylin? it into a thing. I mean, like the ten o'clock slot started becoming uh, Lizzie Loeb, maybe Lizzie. Oh, we brought Lizzie in. Lizzie. There a, there's a other people that like kind of have like disappeared. I was thinking Kaylin Garrity and Jill. Jill moved to Colorado or something. Maybe? No, Jill's from Colorado, but she uh, ended I up seen her getting married and moving to Florida. Florida, okay. So she lives in Florida now with her she's husband. She's still doing music. I think she's a yoga teacher. I think she still plays, but she doesn't do yoga. We still we stay in contact via like. You know, texts and DMs and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. I remember she was cool. We're she's still like, rooting for each other. Like she's the best. She was like, like my great, best friend at that time. Great human. Yeah, we yeah, were yeah. really, really close. Um, but yeah, that, that she really developed that uh, Red Lion scene. And like the D- Dave, the manager, she, ca- called me the Tuesday night guy. He couldn't remember my name. He's like Tuesday night guy. So that's cool to think. Now wait a second. I just not that we have to go into the annals of his history, but was Jeff Tui a bartender there at that point in time? Not that I remember. It was, I mean, because that was his introduction to the scene. Is he was he went from bartender to performer at the Red Lion. 
Yeah, he was doing other nights. So that, like, the Tuesday nights, it ended up being, like, you know, Jill had the 7 to 10 slot. Did she we give, like, younger female singer-songwriters the 7 to 8.30, and then she'd do 8.30 to 10. And all original music, too, we should be noting, right? All yeah, original. this wasn't, like, the Jill hated cover playing thing. covers. Yeah, yeah. This but is, then the 10 to 1... That's what was cool about it. It was like, oh, you can play your own music. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and there was, a, like, there was money, so everyone got paid. and So cool. She, um... The ten o'clock slot started going to going to party bands, and it was like the Josh Dion band. Yes, Pete and Jay. Pete and Jay were shredding then. Uh, yeah, everyone was, was like, "You other... gotta check out this band, Pete and Jay." I was like, and uh, and I think you know there was another band in that scene, but like also hanging around in that scene, like not on Tuesday night, but they'd uh, they're these two guys are playing at Slane down the street, so they always come over and hang out on their break, Martin and Craig. Yeah, but they were playing with Jesse Gage at Slane, so they didn't have their own thing yet. It was and then pre there, the Dean, Dean Scala was hovering around. Like Dean, he's been around for forever. Yeah. Dude, so I got Jill. I was like, "Fuck, I need more money. I'm not making. <laughs> I'm, I ran out of money." And yeah. she's like, oh, "I'm a cater waiter. I can get you a gig as a cater waiter." I was like, "Great." So I started cater waitering with Jill, and like you know, going On to the like weekends, like Friday, yeah, Saturday, like yeah. fancy people's houses, and like being a cater waiter. I remember like we did like. Uh, Stephanie Seymour's par- Christmas party and I was like this is so weird and like you're in the Guns N' Roses like November Rain video <laughs> <laughs> and like Kathy Lee Gifford standing over there and I was like this this job sucks but we got a cater waiter gig somewhere in New Jersey and I, I, my whole goal is to turn everything into a networking opportunity so I was like yeah. I'm, I'm, there's a live band and I was like man this band's killing so I went and started talking to them and it was Craig Meyer on drums Dean Scala playing guitar and Craig's like the nicest guy Sweetheart. i don't think i mean there was a race for the nicest guy on the planet i don't know that anyone could keep up with craig meyer craig meyer so he's like <laughs> at this time the josh dion band is starting to ascend and i'm like their weird fangirl going to every gig sitting front row <laughs> until they like, like until they like they know who i am and i was yeah. like i went to i go to william patterson too yeah, yeah. and they're like cool bro but uh <laughs> craig's like you know at this point like josh knows me all the guys know me uh, Craig's like playing this wedding. He's like, "Hey man, I'm actually not feeling well. Uh, you want to sub for me at the Red Lion tonight? You know, D- it's Dean's gig." And Dean's like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" He's yeah, like, yeah. No, but I was like, "Craig, that's so nice of you." Dean's Dean, got a rough exterior, yeah. bro. Yeah. <laughs> Dean's like, "I'm not." But also in his defense, he's like, "I'm not gonna have this like random guy that yeah, you just yeah. met, like, who's a cater waiter, yeah. <laughs> show up to the Red Lion and play drums." Yeah. And so I was like, oh, I'll come hang anyway. And Dean's like, cool. So I come and hang, and Dean's like, oh, shit, you actually came. He's like, I got this guy to play drums, and it's Dion. Oh, Jesus. And Dion's like, and this is like the third night in a row that I saw Josh, because he was, I saw him like on a, it was like a Dion band gig, a Robbie Gill gig, and then uh, this random Dean Scala gig. Yeah. And that was kind of like how we all started becoming friends. And Josh was also like a wonderful soul star like without ever hearing me play started recommending me as a drummer and like there was this like goofy white kid that he was playing with he's like uh, my band I want to focus on my band mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so he gave my name to Dave Pittenger yeah he <laughs> became one of my best friends and like we lived together and like I played on his records and Dave <laughs> called him a goofy white kid it's yeah like, yeah like we were all goofy like, white kids like, yeah 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 of course you know like d- 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 well, we were all goofy white kids I'm still am yeah <laughs> Yeah, it hasn't changed. But that's funny because Pitcher's just such a monster now. Monster yeah, yeah. He went country from producer. Singer, yeah. songwriter to uh, mixer to producer to like now 
Nashville triple threat where he's like a songwriter, singer, and a producer. Like he can, yeah. he's like that ultimate swing, and he's had a he had at least one number one. Better in Boots by Tyler Farr. Yeah, he's got a couple cuts on the way. We uh, I try to see him like every time I'm in Nashville, and he's killing it. He's you know he's killing. He's engaged. I'm pretty sure they're not married yet. They might be, but she's awesome. She's like a multi instrumentalist. Cool. Yeah. works in publishing, and Dave's just the man. Dave's the man. So mm-hmm. I mean, like, like that. Like, there's, it's a, it's a magical era, and like, I mean, you can just keep. There's, I, you know, there should be a movie about this. I think they are sh- secretly developing a TV show for Apple Plus about like the Rockwood stuff. But um, at this, like, this exact same time, this new music spot opens up on uh, Allen and Houston called Rockwood Music Hall, and like, as like jazz kids are, we're trolls. And we're like, new place to play, new place to go. Like, like, yeah. and they started off as like you know, like a wine bar with jazz, and so I played there with a amazing jazz singer named Abby Ricard who was uh, at William Patterson when it was just the one tiny room you were there at the start man and you know like it was like two it was like one employee like the bartender and Ken and then Ken's mom like handled the booking emails yeah and then uh, it turned in like I think they were like oh we're not gonna make any money off these jazz kids so like they quickly switched to like singer songwriters Jill got a gig there and so I'm playing with Jill and this fucking guy. What year is this right this now? This is still 2005, dude. Is that really five? Two, uh, Rockwood opened in 2005. Henry, great. Really? Okay, good. I've had this conversation a few times with like Ken Rockwood. Oh, five. And I'm like trying to like, and uh, Tommy Merrill to try to like verify the timeline. To go with And this... I have a Google calendar that backs up all this shit because I put everything in a Google calendar as like my, when I finally realized that I didn't want to deal with a day planner anymore. I was like, this new Google Calendar thing's pretty cool. And, and you have it from 05, yeah. It goes all the way back to when I got to, like, 2005, when I started playing gigs, because I was like, oh, I'm, I, I, I don't want to double book. I don't want to make any mistakes. So I started putting everything, like, my BlackBerry synced with Google Calendar. BlackBerry, I loved it. <laughs> um, but uh, this Because guy, right around this time, though, remember, like, after the Red Lion, and then it was like, your big show was the bitter end, and you would walk out, and we would have money. I remember, like, making money. Real maybe, money. Maybe you. <laughs> I definitely don't recall like, ever making money at the bitter end. But well, like, like, I do love you, that they gave you, you the door. If you drew like 80 people, you'd get like 500 bucks or something. You know I mean, what that mean? was like, like watching the Dion band. Like, they would sell out every time. They would time. sell it out. Yeah, and, like, and they I remember would like get like a grand and they would split it between five, six people. And that's why they played that. I remember this weird migration. It was like you would go back to the bitter end and they're like, so you played a Rockwood? And you're like, Oh, dude, yeah, they were so... They were vibing you out so hard, and it was like, <laughs> so well, if you're vibing me no out, pun. clearly we're not going to come back here. Like, Oh, Kenny was so bitter. He's like, oh, the rock one, huh? Yeah. What, what do we What do we got to do to get you back here? Yeah. <laughs> you want a better slot? It's like, no, man, it's just... We want you to run on time. That's like the first fucking thing, like where the bitter end would be like two me, hours they, late, dude. They give me a free drink, Kenny. That's it. That's the difference. Like, this I don't make any beer. money at either place, but yeah. I get a free drink at Rockwood, and I get to choose whatever I want. I'm drinking Schneider Aventinus. <laughs> like, if I play three gigs in a row, I get to have three drinks. Yeah, you get to have a fucking drink, dude. <laughs> I was like, it. Kenny, you still charge me, like, half off for a fucking Heineken. Uh, dude. Like, that, you want me to buy like, you a beer? You want me to buy you a beer? No, Kenny, I just want a free drink. I, I think w- I, I made real status on Bleecker Street is when I walked in with Colleen and got in for free, and then I forever <laughs> got in. Just walking in with Brian. Like, yeah, the Dion band. And that they era, were 05, they were royalty at the bitter end. They could yeah, walk yeah. in and out. I mean, Josh they was got, playing what, what with everybody. It, they played there like once a week or something at that point in time. They did too, a lot, right? lot of residencies. They were playing there constantly, selling constantly, out. Yeah. They'd always have like, I remember, man, this is so, so we're, we're recording this, right? It's uh, uh, end of October. You know, this week is Halloween. I remember 
few years in a row, I went to see the Dion band at the Bitter End on Halloween. And it was like... The greatest New York holiday there is, yeah. Oh, dude, and it's like the Greenwich Village was fucking mayhem. It's like... Mayhem! It's like hipster Mardi Gras in costume, dude. It's like, like it makes South by Southwest look like an amateur hour. Amateur hour, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's so crazy. And the like, costumes in New York, people don't even get it. You're like... Dude, it's crazy. I just remember going, it's like, it's just magic, dude. Like, watching them, like, they're in costume, and but they'd always do a theme. And like, the one I rem- the last one I remember going to... Which might have been one of their last gigs of the band, is they did like the band. They played fucking like like the last waltz at yes. the bitter end yes. and had all their friends come in as like the guests from the last waltz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Josh and Josh did like double drums with Vinny Sparaza and like they set him up and then like and Josh like had me set up like a percussion station and like it's like all the homies were just like it was like dude this is this is the last waltz you guys this all, is this is sick insanity yes. And, uh, yeah, those, I mean, there's just so many good memories. Rockwood started doing his thing, and... Yeah, so then the migration to Rockwood, right, which is... Starts happening. I remember I played with my first gig there with Jill, and, like, this guy slips me his card, and I don't think anything of it, and I go home, and, like, you know, trying to be, like, savvy. as a like, cool, I go home and pull out all the cards, and, like, cool, like, in a spreadsheet, like, putting in who they are, their titles, their emails, like, all right, I'm sending them an email on this day, and if I don't hear from them, I'll follow up with, in two weeks, blah, 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 and, like, I pull this card, and it's, like, vice president of MTV News, and I was like, oh, shit, this is a big, this is a big deal, oh, yeah. my God, oh, yeah. my God, uh, so I emailed this cat, Benjamin Wagner. Ben Wagner! <laughs> who was the last guest on Secret Famous. He, he was just sitting right there. I can't there. wait for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that guy's, he, he, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a... He can spin a yarn. The man is so entertaining, he can, right? Dude, he's an incredible storyteller. Incredible he's got storyteller. This, like, I can't wait to like my voice is probably harsh and annoying. No. He's got this like beautiful, like warm voice. Yeah. He's been doing it for twenty plus years. So he's he's magic. And he's, I've only recently really gotten to know Ben. Dude, he's got a deep, deep catalog. Uh, he's like he has twenty records or something he was saying. He's like, I've he's like, I just put out a record a year. So this motherfucker gives me a card, and he's and like, like Wait. him in a bod are drinking a beer in the back. They had just played, I guess, and uh, yeah. I came in hot and went on stage with Jill, gave me a card, they left, I email him, he's like, right. oh, I'm making a record, come come, bring your box thingy. And like, I went to this like fucking two-story fucking apartment big. in the Upper West Side, and it's yep, like, yep. God, I've piece? made it. I'm like recording on uh, this EP for the vice president of MTV News, like, this is it, bro. This is like, it, yeah. And so, like, we record in this closet and, like, make this, like, I think the Desert something EP. Uh, but it was, like, yeah, that was, I mean, Ben and Chris became, like, my big brothers. Like, we started hanging out with them, and they, they had this, like, bass player that they used forever, this guy, Anthony Michelli, Tony yep. Maselli. And that's when I met, like, th- those three guys were, like, so important to me. They just looked out for me. They were incredible influences, just, like, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful humans who were always... Very, very generous and very, very supportive. Yeah, that's an incredible crew of guys. There's mm. no questions asked. And that was the and band. They love you. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was Ben Wagner, Chris Abad, Tony, and myself. And, and yeah. this, yeah, this is super early on. You're right. This is like 2006 now. Yes, you met them all so early. Yeah, you were out. Good for you. I mean, that was the whole thing. I was out till every night, all night. And, uh, you know, I, I told you I was like hanging out at the Jazz Standard a lot. And uh, there were all these cater waiter not cater waiters but like waiters and like like sound people like the sound guy at mm-hmm, that time mm-hmm. Aaron Navizi one of the owners now of uh, um, what's the, the amazing studio in Brooklyn uh, Studio G 
the other amazing studio in Brooklyn. The, the one bunker. In the bunker. Yeah, yes. Aaron, Aaron and uh, John own the bunker. Yep. And they, I remember I met Aaron. He was just running sound at the Jazz Standard. <laughs> and like, yeah. like trying to record in his basement in Williamsburg. And then like this waiter who had just moved from Ohio was like, heard me talking about music and like, Wanted to start hanging out. Luke Wesley. Luke did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I remember started, like, started playing uh, with Luke. Legend. Yeah, he's a legend. That whole scene. And it was just, everyone was like, like, and it was just, you know, one of those things. It was a magical time. Like, like everyone happened to move. Like, the entire Purchase crew came down. The Ingrid yeah, exactly. Michelson crew had just started. Just kind of uh, started blowing up a Pete little bit. The Jay crew had just moved to town. Like, yep. I just moved to town. Like, all these people just happen to move to town at the same time, and then Rockwood opens. Yep. And so, like, we're like, well, you know, Nora Jones and Jesse Harris and Richard Julian and all those cats kind of already have the living room. That's their scene. Like, it's like the Goonies. Like, this is our scene. Yes. Rockwood yes. is our scene. It is. So we invested in Rockwood, and then. Like uh, another huge turning point, I think, for the scene that really make it a scene was Matt Basile started this thing called Late Night at Rockwood Wednesday mm-hmm. nights. It started at one a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to be like, "What side of the street can I park on?" Because it's like it's one a.m. technically on Thursday, but it's Wednesday night, so it would go from one to four a.m. You know, and you'd show up, and Matt was like the MC, it was the fucking like it was the, a three wing circus, and it's like. He would post on MySpace, like on a bulletin board, like, it's going to be 1983. Here's the top 100 from 1983. He's like, if you're a singer, pick a song. If you're uh, a musician, bring your axe. Yeah. That's all you got. And like, he'd be it. like, cool, Wes Hutchinson, you're up. Uh, what song did you learn? He'd be like, uh, um, I'm trying to, like, uh, he always played uh, uh, No One Is to Blame by Howard Jones. And he's like, cool, uh, Ryan, you're going to be the drummer. Mitzelli, you're going to be the bass player. Uh, Paul, you're going to play guitar. I yeah. hope you guys know the song. Good luck. Good luck. And then you'd and play. Wasn't and wasn't Basile the sound man at that point? He was also, yeah, then he, he was would run up into the treehouse. Run house. up and do the sound. <laughs> he was the manager, the sound guy, and yep. the host. Yes, yes. But that created a whole scene. Like, I mean, that's where I met Ari Hest and Julian Villard and yep. Wakey Wakey. And, wakey Wakey. Uh, fuck, man. Casey Shea, Wes Steve Hutchinson. Steve Waite. Steve Waite. Like, everyone was just <laughs> like, they would come in after their gig, get a beer, and watch this, like, debauchery on stage. Yeah. But it was, like, we everyone bonded, and, like, we'd go out to dinner afterwards, or, or dinner, geez. We'd go out to breakfast at, like, you know, 4.35 in the morning. I was living not in the city, so I'd have to drive back to New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So in 2006, I graduated college, and I was like, oh, I don't know where to go. So Pittenger's like, hey, move in with me. Like, I got this, like, sick pad in Ocean Grove, which is fucking far, if you know where it is. Like, the next beach south of Asbury Park. They call it Ocean Grave. that's very far, yes. Because it's, like, a gated community. It still has blue laws on the books. Like, they, you know, it's a dry little, like, mile-by-mile city. I know exactly this spot, yes. But it's, like, it's gorgeous. And it's, like, we can live on the beach, and, like, it's cheap, and it's, like, cool. Fuck it. And, like, we made a record down there, but then I was, like, oh, right, it's... An hour and a half from... It's an hour, hour and a half to the city just and I was like that tunnel. I was I you know I'd started working at Trader Joe's in Wayne when I was in school to get to bring in some yep. extra cash and have yep. some health benefits and so I was like living this triangle where it's like I would like work and I was, I was like man I'm starting to get gigs and I don't want to ever turn down anything so I was like what's the only shift I can take that won't conflict with anything at Trader Joe's it was the 4 a.m. to 1 p.m. shift <laughs> and it was like the, the the morning shift yeah so I would get there some nights I'd like I'd, I'd end at 1 p.m., 1 p.m., 1 a.m., and then just drive to Trader Joe's, take a nap in the parking lot in my car, wake up, unload the truck, 
you know, work until open, which is like 9 a.m., take a nap in my car, and then like work another few hours, and then I would drive down to Jersey, down to Ocean Grove, mm-hmm. take a nap, <laughs> shower, get in my You're car, an drive yeah. back to the city, do gigs do and rehearsals, gig and, rehearsals. And, yeah. and then like and just did that, and I was like working 40 hours a week at, you know, it's like five, four or five days a week at Trader Joe's doing that morning shift, and then trying to stack gigs and trying to get into the scene, and just juggling this, and like I definitely like looked like I like came out of a zombie film, just, like <laughs> perpetually tired, malnourished. Like, yeah, like but yeah. you know, just, just like just I have hustling, to hustling, working so hard, have to yeah. sacrifice for your art, man. Like that was the one, like the one, like silly little thing that I like. Branford Marsalis told me we did like a. Sedona Jazz on the Rocks youth band in high school and like he was like the main act at the Sedona Jazz on the Rocks festival and like we are you know like like little kids like a bunch of scared little white kids and like yeah. it's like Tane Watts and Branford <laughs> Marsalis and, they're, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're playing the Love Supreme record yeah the heaviest like, dudes in like earth you, yeah like you just gotta sacrifice for your art motherfucker like that's it <laughs> that's all you need to know yeah and then like you know he was he was really really nice actually yeah but I mean, that was like that was like oh yeah cool sacrifice for my art I can do that yep and that was me sleeping in my car, you know, for like two years until I finally was like, I did the math and I was like, all the money I'm spending on tolls, I could just put that towards rent and I could move into the city. And Chris Gow was like, dude, I got a room in a brownstone opening mm-hmm. up if you want it. And I was like, yeah. You're like, hell yeah. Let's do it. So I moved in with Chris Gow and we were part of that like. And wasn't your third roommate a drummer too? Cody like Brown. The, yeah. <laughs> Well, I never met. I I don't even know this guy. Cody Brown? Dude, the guy's one of those annoying... There's, like, a lot of annoying musicians in our life that play everything obnoxiously well. Cody was, like... that guy. You're like, all right. But he's, like, really into, like, really out avant-garde jazz, like the... Yeah, he was just a jazz kid. I feel like you guys but were he's like, an oh, he's a incredible guitar player. His dad's like a like a awesome guitar guy up in <sighs> Portland, Maine. And so Cody can like shred on guitar. Yeah. So he's he would just like he'd sit around and write songs and play guitar with Adam. They'd just like cuz Adam's also a superhuman musician. He's a freak as well. And I, yeah. I was in like I was like, dude, like I got paradiddles. It's like that's about all I got. <laughs> I can't play anything else. I know knocking on heaven's door on guitar. Yeah, like, I don't even know that. No, those guys are freaks, dude. I I know I know the type. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk feel about Misty Boyce or Greg or fucking Rebecca. You're like, what? You do that too? Come on. Four, right. yeah. There were four bedroom bounce round, three drummers. We turned one room into a practice room, and we moved. To, like we're part of like that early gentrification of Crown Heights. Yeah. I took over Bobby Avey's room. Did you really, Bobby Avey? He had like a piano in the room, and he just like you know. Wake up and just practice all, all morning and shed all morning. Yeah. So yeah, Bobby's like, I got. I'm moving out, and I moved into Bobby's room. And there was another saxophone player. I don't remember his name, but he moved out, and Cody moved in, and we had like a wonderful four years together in Crown Heights, and yeah, it was pretty awesome. That is awesome. And then and then we all just kept climbing the ranks. You know, Adam yeah. like started, you know, subbing the Ingrid gig for Elliot Jacobson, and then he got the. Joshua Raiden gig and that was kind mm-hmm. of a game changer because Raiden was like really popping off yeah and then he came back from that and then got offered the Sia gig and that's dude, when dude when like, yeah we were all just like what yeah yeah like you did you what? played with Sia <laughs> the Sia yeah yeah you're like god damn it that was it was fucking magic dude it's really cool to be in a house with like all musicians like my first place in New York the best yes like, that's like such a great yeah Franklin Ave stop off the 2345 it was cool, man. Like, it was not a 
nice neighborhood at that time. It's like, <laughs> God, I don't know how I could afford to live there now. <laughs> You're walking around. We had like a, it was like $1,800 a month. Please don't beat me up. Please don't beat me up. Please don't beat me up. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely got, got called a lot of names. But yep. like, nothing ever happened. Hey, ginger balls. Oh, yeah. We're, we're honky. What are you doing here? Cracker. Yeah. Which is, dude, that's fine. Like, we're it's fine. Like, we're totally gentrifying their neighborhood. And it's like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I literally <laughs> can't afford to live anywhere yeah, else. That's all I can afford. It's like $1,800 for oh. four bedroom brownstone. Like, I'm so sorry, but the deal's so good. Oh my gosh. That's. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I have a kid I used to teach. He's like, yeah, I'm living in East New York. I'm like, excuse me? What? And that's it. He's like, it's all I can afford. I'm like, it's still going I can't, on. That, and that's like, that was the thing. It's like, will East How New York and Brownsville going? ever be gentrified? Yeah, and here it is. It's happening. There's a dorky white kid with a guitar who plays eight-bit music who's going in and out of that. I'm like, man. He's, sometimes he can't leave. He's like, I can't go home now. I got to sleep here. <laughs> like, okay, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably a smart move. Whatever. I digress. So that's the era. That's goddamn it. That's, that's the it. beginning, man. Yeah, that was like that was. I mean, there's a lot of other fun stories laced I mean, in there, but like that was kind of like that's how you just met everybody, and you were just the guy everybody was like just hanging out and like you know. Call ev- Ryan. Ev- everyone has yeah. I was doing the Cajon thing, and you know Ken and Matt like to make fun of me and blame me for like introducing the Cajon to the the whole scene. I, you did, yeah. Which is I, I whether I don't know if it's true. I'm great. I, I think it's funny. So I was like, I'll take it. I was like, it's like a backhanded compliment for sure. I don't eat. No, that's a compliment. Why is it backhanded? Because the Cajon has such a negative reputation now. Like last night I was at Rockwood and I have like this like ridiculous flight case that I had custom made for my Cajon because I went to Pakistan with Grace McLean and Justin Goldner and like the State Department's like, what do you need to make this happen? And I was like, I need a flight case. So I got this like ridiculous ATA flight case. Wheeling it around Rockwood last night. And they're like, what is that at the Cajon? They're like, but you have a box for your box? I was like, yeah. I was like, it's a little what more could say complicated. This to you though, bro. But guys who don't know me anymore, because oh, okay. I, I moved out of New York three and a half years ago, so they're just like, well, you have a, ca- a case for your cajon? He's right. like, ha ha cajon, ha ha ha. And I was like, this yeah, is some ha, dumb ha, ha, R&B ha, ha. kid. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, ha, 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 fuck you. You don't know. Yeah. yeah, I was like, this box has made me a lot of money. Yeah, if you add it up over the last of fifteen years. As Chris so. Anderson said, "I'll show you the pay stubs." <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, uh, uh, the cajon has become, like, a t- dirty word, but, like, you know. But it's so perfect for New York, though, right? It's just yeah. such a difficult, like, you gotta be quiet, you have to play in small spaces. You have to take the train. You have to train everywhere. It's like, I had a yeah, car, it's like but, like, I do guitar and cajon. Totally. And you can entertain a whole room. It's tough to make people dance, but I'm sure you can. Oh, I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, dude, you have to yell at the sound guy, like, kill the highs, like, kill the, like, high mids, boost the lows, and just, like... And it's a kick drum. Yeah, we'll so make it sound yeah. like John Bonham's kick drum, and they all laugh. And I was like, no, really, make it sound like a kick drum. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want anyone to know that this is a cajon. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds... I have, like, a Beta 91 that I, th- I bring. It's Velcro to the bottom. It's like, plug this in, turn up the lows, turn down the highs, and let me do the work. Yep. And I'm like, oh, I was like, look, like, look at my hands, like, like, you know, the brandy cart. Look at the lines across my face. I'll tell you the story of who I am. Like, look at the, look at the calluses on my hands, dude. Like, I will, I will play, Chase. You know, I'll find the one person that's not getting off, and I'll make them get off. Yeah, yeah. I you mean, to, God damn hit, it! After three hours of gig, what, what happened the morning when you're at Trader Joe's trying to load I, the truck I, and your left hand's just fucked? No, like actually, like, I mean, it, like I, does I, it, nowadays I'd be fucked. Like I lost all my calluses. You lost all the. But like I, that, there's a point where it's like my hands were like leather. There must have been. Yeah. I've been playing, you know, three hour bar gigs constantly. You know, I was doing like Prohibition once or twice a week. 
the Red Lion, uh, every Sunday at the Winslow, uh, you know, Schmidt and I would have like other random like little regular gigs that we'd constantly try to like talk the bar managers and the letting things have and yep. we would do like dude sometimes we were doing like back to back three hour gigs it'd be like four to seven at the red line on Saturday and then we'd run over and play at the uh, um, the Ellington from eight to eleven. And Schmidt, he's in that rarefied <laughs> air of guys who wouldn't even repeat a song ever. You're that's, just like, <laughs> what dude, a freak. Come in, on, yeah, man. Yeah, that's... That's those... Him, Martin, Jeff. It's insane. Is there anybody else? Uh, there's other guys. Alex I, Miller's pretty I, close. Who? Alex Miller. Do you he's know he's getting closer. He's getting closer. He has quite a catalog. Where you're he's just the, like, yeah, the, yeah. The name, I think he's been doing all those gigs. I haven't played with him in a while, so I, I have to assume... He's approaching that like thousand song mark where he's just like, like he just <laughs> knows it. He just knows every tune. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, Martin, Mar- like uh, uh, Jeff's the man. Uh, Martin and John to me are on another planet. Beca- they're freaks, man. Uh, yeah, it's they're like, in another stratosphere. They can sing amazing. They play the shit out of the guitar. They know more songs than anybody. Yeah, I mean, Tui, Martin, and John, John, Wes, Hutchinson. He's a monster. Alex. I'm trying to think of like, the other, like, three-hour warriors that we I do. Those, I mean... Three. It's like the six to nine-hour mark. Yeah. When you don't yeah. repeat a song in six hours, you're, you're like, okay, you're in a different... Yeah. There, there, there weren't many cats that would want to do those gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, wait, I have to sing for three hours? <laughs> no one does, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. You have to kind of secretly get off on it. I think, like, totally. this is something that, like, when I tell Rachel, like, I'm doing a wedding gig, and then I'm going to go do a 1 a.m. 2 gig, she's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? are like, no, 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 I, like, love Dude, this. So for a year... <laughs> yeah, I, I get off on this. For you know? a year, I was doing... Uh, that's why I got called the Tuesday Night Guy. I'd be like... Jill, it'd be, I'd play with like Rebecca at seven, Jill at eight thirty. From ten to seven one, to I would have four. dinner. Yeah, uh, and like the Dion Van Plitt would play or Pete and Shea or whatever, and then Michael Bronick would come on at one till four, and I, I I started playing with Michael, so I'd be there. I'd be at the Red Line from fucking like six o'clock till four in the morning. Tuesday night guy. Tuesday night guy. Tuesday but night I, guy. I, I bring like all the cajon and percussion gear. I would drive in. Yep. I would get. I would get to Bleecker Street right at like, like like 5.45, right right before the parking opened up. I would get that spot right in front of the red line, mm-hmm. and my car became like a like a, a locker for all my gear. And like <laughs> It's like, yeah, you gotta change new shit. I bring, I'd bring, in, fucking, yeah, yeah. I'd bring in all the cajon shit and like do all that, and then I'd like put it in the corner, and then I'd go get all my drum set shit, because like the red line only had shells, so I had to bring like, you know, all the breakables and all the hardware. Um... And I'd bring all that shit in and set up and play with Michael Brunick. And it was like, I mean, that was also like a uh, a life lesson. It was like Michael Brunick, Eric Caterley on guitar, and Rob Calder on bass. He was Monsters. Like, he's like, he might as well be called the Velvet Fog on bass. He's just like, just like his feels massive. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And just like Michael would play three hours of originals. <laughs> <laughs> Like without a break, <laughs> we'd have to convince him to let us go pee. Yeah, you're like, dude, I gotta. And he's like, I I'll play it. I'll play it solo. You guys take a break. Take a break. And uh, uh, it was just and like, and that's like, it was that was the weirdest time because you know everyone's getting off of their gigs and coming to the red line, hammered and like, I, I my favorite Michael story is like this guy comes in, he's like, uh, uh, you know, cat calling and like making U2 requests, like play where the streets have no name, and Michael's like, look, man, Bono and I have a pact. I don't play his music. He doesn't play mine. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then he would go in there and then he'd go into like his like wonderful fucking incredible song that you're just like oh my god I'm like crying behind the drums yeah god damn it dude but, like, but yeah. you loved every second of it you ha- yeah you have to it's like dude like of course I want to play till four in the morning with Michael Brunner because he's so fucking good yeah yeah and it's like you know Rob Calder's there smiling and it's like this is sick like I get to play with Rob Calder cool yeah no it's exactly I get to listen to Michael Brunick sing like cool great (laughs) I'm so psyched to be here yeah exactly I agree I'm like you know here's a hundred dollars he'd be like oh wow holy shit I just made a hundred dollars cash (laughs) (laughs) and a beer and a shot and a beer maybe yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, no one gives you free food, right? It's like, oh, and no, here's the bill. Free food. Yeah, yeah. And can you? <laughs> you gotta get the food. Damn. So, tell me about Kilphonic then. I mean, we just fucking went through the glory days yeah, here. That's, that's I mean, fuck that. We only got to like you, 2008. Dude. I, I well, I know. I mean, we could keep going. <laughs> no, no, no. So I want to so, talk about Ryan right now. Yeah. You know? So I. Uh, so I liked to go backwards. Can we, can we pause the podcast? Yes. Take a, uh, a bathroom break? break. Pausing. With all right, now we're back. We're back. We're back. Good call on the pee break. Okay, all right. Uh, so, yeah, let me uh, set up the California thing really quick. So, like, you know. because well, I'm so curious personally, and I'm sure everybody, and people are like, what's Ryan doing? What's, so, when we, you guys leave, and then we don't really know what anybody does over there. Right. So, uh, like, but when I was still in New York, I definitely was starting to see the forest through the trees. You know what I mean? Like, I always talk about, like, this 10-year cycle in New York. Corporate leases, commercial leases are expiring. So, like, that really affects the musicians. And, like, yep. people don't realize that. It's like, dude, like, you know. Uh, ad agencies and production houses and studios and producers and artists it's like every few years they reevaluate their finances and you know cut stuff so it's like man like I'm lo- like work is constantly ebbing and flowing disappearing and reappearing and yes it's like I started to watch like steady income dis- evaporate like it's like oh the studio's closing or moving or this artist is moving to Nashville or Austin or Los Angeles and yeah it, well. you know like producers are like oh, I'm just the, not getting the budgets I used to get so I'm going to you know I'm, I'm going to play the drums and just like cut it up and line it up or I'm just going to program something and it's like okay I need to find another way of making money that doesn't require three hours of fucking Billy Joel covers like <laughs> I can't I can't I'm going to kill myself so um I started looking at, like, industry stuff. Like, what can I be doing? And I got a... I, I did a... For a few of those years, I was touring um, as a drummer, sideman, and tour managing to try to get enough money to justify leaving New York, right? So it's, yep. like, it's really hard to leave New York because you have, like... It's like a, my thing is, like, I have to make $100 a day. Our overhead is so high, yeah. And, like, that minimum. was the goal. $100 yeah. a day, like, minimum. So it's, like, if I leave the city, it's, like, I need, like, at least $1,000. It'd be great to get, like, 1500 a week. Yeah. And the only way they would do that if I was also tour managing. So I started tour managing, like, Teddy Geiger, Tyler Hilton. Huge Like, like artists, yeah. really awesome, awesome... Two amazing artists, Like, yeah. before Teddy was before writing he... fucking all of Shawn Mendes' songs. Like... Is this... This is after the TV show, though. Remember he was on the TV show? Yeah, a Love Monkey? Yes. Oh, yeah, well after, like, he'd been dropped by the label. Yes. Uh, he just got a new he manager. Like, he was like a Bieber-ish thing at first, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. He, was, uh, he was on, like, the, the next, like, the making of the Partridge Family or something with Emma Stone. Yes, and, like, they, yes. Then he, like, you know, had this, like, amazing hit and then ended up on Love Monkey and then everything kind of, like, like everybody else, like, the classic story, everything kind of imploded. He got dropped and he was trying to, like, find his way and he met a manager and the manager's like, I think you could be a writer, and so the manager was like, let's, you know, let's do all these, like, 
like kind of vanity gigs where like you're just going and playing colleges for like quick cash grabs while we establish you as a writer, which paid off. Which ultimately. paid off dividends. Yeah. Um, yeah all yeah. the hits. Yeah, yeah. Totally. He's like multiple hits. Yeah. Like every Sean Mendes hit is Teddy. Is Teddy. Yeah. 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 Uh, she is amazing. She is amazing. Um, but yeah, so playing with Teddy and so you're tour managing, you're doing touring. all stuff, so learning tour managing stuff, and like kind of like starting to see how like the booking stuff works, and uh, making friends with like Ted and Tyler's agents, and then uh, making friends around the country. And I meet this guy in Ohio named Jared Mahone, and he's like the mayor of Ohio, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Incredible musician. Mm-hmm. We become friends. Uh, he comes to New York, and he's, like, signed to this, like, sync and licensing imprint called Fieldhouse. Oh, yes. Okay. So, okay. Uh, in, which is owned by this guy, John Luffler, who uh, made a name for himself because he, like, co-wrote and produced the Pokemon soundtrack, which, believe it or not, made millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a it. phenomenon. I yeah. believe it. So John starts this like like imprint under BMG. Yep. Where he wants because he just loves like like independent musicians and undiscovered singer songwriters, and he's like, I want to like be an incubator. So he's signing people. He signs you know Olivia Millershin and Jared Mahone, who I both who I meet, coincidentally meet both of them. Olivia's from Detroit. Jared's from Columbus. I meet both mm-hmm. of them opening for like they're opening for Teddy when yeah. I'm TMing. It's pretty cool. Um, and they're still like really really good friends, but. John's like, hey, uh, my friend Katie Couric is has a show, and I convinced her to bring in like live musicians once a week. We're gonna do like fun Fridays with a live band, and he's like, Jared, I want you to like bring a band, and every week like the band will change, and it'll be they'll feature your music. And Jared's like, I don't know that my guys, one, it's really expensive to bring them from Columbus. Two, I don't know that they can handle like cues and shit like that. Yeah, he's like, I think you should probably like find a New York band, and then like have guest artists and john's like cool like i don't know anybody like all my friends are like in their 40s 50s and 60s and not interested really in doing this and i don't think the show would be interested and so jared's like i know a guy i know a guy call this guy ryan vaughn and i was like called me empowered me to be the band leader for the katie couric show amazing so i called the homies it's like julia adamy uh jason wexler Jerry Fuentes. Jerry. Oscar Bautista. Oscar. And so we have this, like, band. We rehearse it. Like, we get all these cues. And we, Jared's the featured guest. We do this show live on Katie Couric. And it goes, like, really well. It's like, this is sick. And then, like, a week later. It's a gig, yeah. You know, it's like, we're going to have, like, a reoccurring gig on TV. Unfortunately, it's ABC, which is owned by Disney, which means no back end, no royalties, because Disney won't deal with unions or anything. Um but it's still whatever it's like it's a payday it's cool still you're on gig, TV yeah. yep a, like a week or two after I was like cool so when's the next date like it's gonna be fun Fridays I'm excited they're like uh, so Katie just decided she's not gonna renew for season three so we're canceling all new projects uh, the band's canceled uh, sorry guys like sorry, all, all yes. the producers are freaking out because they're all they're, they started looking for their next job everyone's yeah, like yeah. already has a foot out the door and it's like oh my god you gotta be kidding so I went into John's office and I was like Here's a nice bottle of whiskey. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I checked out your roster, actually. Unsolicited. I checked out your roster, and uh, there's a lot of crappy artists on your roster, dude. And I was like, here's about 20 CDs of artists you've never heard of that I think you might be interested in. And he's like, who the fuck is this kid? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> See ya. Yeah, yeah. Top of the pile is uh, Caleb Holly's 
uh, well, he turned into EP1, EP2, but it's like it was the the record that he made with all those songs that like we all know and love. Yeah. He starts there and he's like, holy shit. And then he like, I forget the next record that was underneath it. Uh, but it was like all of the homies. It's like he's just going to one and he's like, oh my God, this is a, a cachet of talent. Mm-hmm, so he, mm-hmm. he calls me and he's like, all right, all right. Like, who are you? Who are these people? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, those are my friends. And like, uh, they're all amazing musicians and they would be, you know, I think like Chrissy Poland, uh, Zach Hurd, now Bay Ledges, Caleb, um, shoot, there's a bunch of other artists that were in on it. And like, so John's like, this is fascinating. Tell me more. And I start working with him and like kind of like an unpaid A&R. But it's like an exchange. I get to like, he's acting as like a mentor and I get to learn, start learning about the publishing world. Yes. This, this is all new to me. I didn't know this. this is, so I did like the, the you tour managing thing. First hand look right here. So I start like going to the office. So I was like, anytime I, I wasn't, I didn't have a rehearsal or something to do during the day, I would go to Fieldhouse and I would hang out in John's office and just like, act as a sponge and absorb like he had he was like the only non-BMG employee that had an office on in BMG in mm-hmm. New York which mm-hmm. was like 57th and Broadway so I just like hang out and just you know I was like oh this is my friend Roger he's like we, he's my next door neighbor in the Hamptons it's Roger Waters you know he's like <laughs> there's a hole in your trousers yeah. <laughs> just it looks and I look at him like uh, uh yes sir uh, you know stuff like that like you know <laughs> How do you not be starstruck in front of Roger Waters? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I would be speechless. Uh, uh, Yeah, I was. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) You are correct. I I I paid extra. Yeah, I paid extra for that. (laughs) I'm distressed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was like, I hang out with John, and like, I know, I get to meet all these like awesome people, and he's just really well connected, and I start learning about publishing and sync and licensing, and it just kind of like wets my appetite. I don't really understand it. I start reading books and um, anyway, like I'm in that world and then more and more gigs keep evaporating and then I just kind of woke up one day and realized that I was kind of over being a sideman. Yeah. It's like, you know, it felt like I was about going to have to start over and like start re-networking. It's like, you know, the, it was the era of the super drummer, mm-hmm. like the Zach Joneses of the world who can play and sing play, every instrument play in every instrument they can sing they can write songs just like dude i can't do any of that that's not my thing and it's like these guys deserve like that's the future i i want to hire those guys mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm not going to be one of those guys what can i do so i just kind of said fuck it and i was like if i'm going to start over i just not i can't be in new york i can't afford it so yeah. I started dating uh, a songwriter that I had been playing with a long time, long distance, and uh, she had moved to L.A., and she's like, I'm not coming back to New York. I'm not coming back. I so see. I was like, all my family's out there. I'm not happy here. Fuck it. And so I got a call. All, all of her family is in L.A.? All her family. No, all of my family's out there. Your family's out there. Her family. She's a Jersey girl. She's a Jersey girl. Yeah. She doesn't love New Jersey or New York City so like she was more than happy to uh, only was, see her family at the holidays hey. <laughs> as, as Tim Lavin said your family only gets four days then I'm out of there <laughs> it's so, like a four day rule yeah I was like uh, God, whatever like what I got to lose All my, I got a lot of friends out there I could use a fresh uh, fresh start a change of scenery like I was like yeah. I have plenty of connections like I can kind of hit the ground running and so Tommy Merrill, who used to book Rockwood, he was the, a bartender turned booker, like turned like booking agent, 
like was like if you ever and needed, he worked for Fieldhouse, right? No, or no, no. He Bell? he worked. Uh, no, so uh, so he long time like essentially established the culture at Rockwood. Like you know, yeah, trained Matt Curry. Trained Matt Curry, who's the homie, who's now like the main booker and has been for years. So for years, Tommy yeah. was just like, man, like I have to get out of this lifestyle because it's like it's just crazy. And so yeah. he he decided to start a like a booking agency where he was like he would help try to help independent artists establish tour history. Yeah. Okay. And so he moved to LA and because his wife's an actress and it was just like I think they needed to get out of New York as well. So he was like, if you ever need a job, call me. Tommy. And so I called him. I was like, hey man, uh, I need a job. job. <laughs> 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 I'm moving to LA and I have no money and uh, I don't have like I didn't like, the music industry is kind of fucked up and I, I mean I can, I've learned so much that I'll, I'll go into but they everyone kind of enters as like an intern out of college and then gets promoted or fired up like with zero skill set like usually they're not qualified but like if you don't have that resume they don't being have 15 in, years of being on the streets like right. you yeah. but I also don't have 15 years of being an intern or like a peon at in, at the industry level so they, they're yeah. like oh you have you don't have any experience like, no I have, I have experience but I, I, I yes I, I didn't intern Atlantic yes I you know I wasn't like a, a, a data I didn't do data entry at BMG I was yeah, like no I was processing I worked at BMG but I wasn't an, um, I wasn't an employee mm. and they're like how do I verify this? You know, be like, oh, here's my references, and you know, like, well, what did you? What was your salary? And it's like, I, I didn't, I didn't get a salary. I was an intern, but not officially. So like, there's no. It's like, ugh. So I call Tommy, and Tommy's like, um, I part, I'm partnering with Martial Arts, which is a booking company out of London mm-hmm. that has a few clients you might have heard of: Paul McCartney, Elton John, Cher, Lionel Richie, Pink. Right. Who are they? Yeah. Yeah. What the yeah. I oh, mean, okay. Paul's the big one. And yeah. So he's like, they're opening an LA office and they've empowered me to like do that. And like, I get to hire like a number two. If you're interested, it's yours. And I was like, fuck it. Mine as well. Great job. Great. So I started, I moved to LA and like worked for 18 months as a booking agent alongside Tommy. A booking Got, agent for a monster artist. But I didn't get to work. Like I, I didn't like Paul, the London office handles the monster artist. The LA office was kind of like, we want to help support Tommy and like kind of like they they are brilliant. Uh, Barry and Jenny Marshall, Marshall mm-hmm. Arts, um, are brilliant. And they're just like well, we like our entire business model is about relationships, right? It's the Jerry Maguire thing, which I I, I make that uh, allusion a lot. Like it's all about personal relationships, and mm-hmm. so like we're mm-hmm. we've been with Paul for thirty plus years because of our relationships. So like we want to get in on the ground with these artists. Early, early invest in them develop a loyalty and then they stay with us because yep. the the weird part about the booking world is there aren't contracts like if you, an artist signs with a booking agent there's no contract mm-hmm. that you can leave at any time so it's it's i mean when you get to like the m- much bigger artists there are contracts but like at like the indie level even like like bigger independent bands like there aren't contracts so they're like it's really about loyalty, personal relationships, and uh, so they were like kind of empowering Tommy, and like we're gonna invest in your roster and blah blah blah. Like we have an art, like a an office on on Sunset, like above BMI in West mm-hmm. Hollywood, mm-hmm. and like you know the office job, man, fucking nine to six every day. Mm-hmm. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like the work was cool. But I was like, the office part sucked. It's like, oh my god, Ugh. like I've spent twenty or fifteen years. 
as a freelancer. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm setting my own schedule. Like, I'll work insane hours, but, like, I don't like being told what to do. Get here at 9. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my God, I have to be there, you know, 9 to 6, 9 to 6, 9 to 6. It might have been 10 to 6, actually. I think it was 10 to 6. But I have to. I, I was living in the valley in North Hollywood and I'd have to, like, drive through Laurel Canyon. I'm like, it's an 18-minute drive that takes over an hour. Yeah. My blood pressure's <laughs> rising just you talking about that. Something about L.A. So, traffic. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I did that. I got, I got to, like do all these amazing things like I got to work the second weekend of desert trip at, as under the McCartney umbrella I got mm-hmm. like they brought us out to uh, Fenway to work the McCartney concert and got to hang out with you know the crew and like you know, we're, we're essentially like right under Barry and Jenny Marshall and like that they're we're under their umbrella so like we're all all access triple A you know what I mean like I can mm-hmm. go anywhere do anything as Really incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry sent us to. Uh, he's like, uh, I'm gonna send you guys. Like, uh, there's this band I want you to check out. And it's, it was like the Revolutions, uh, 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 reuniting post Prince's death. Right? They did three nights at uh, First, First Avenue, Avenue in Minneapolis, and we mm-hmm. went to night two and night three, <laughs> and got to hang out with the band because we were like on their private guest list. Yeah. As they were looking for new agents, like Barry was at the top of their list, and so. Barry brought Tommy and I out to like hang out with the revolution with Barry. Oh yeah. He was there too. Dude, Barry's the rock star of rock stars. Like the guy, he knows everything about music. He's like the real shit, the real deal. We would talk about like jazz and, uh, all these like jazz cats cause he came up in London in like the seventies, like like as a promoter for like jazz people and, he, uh, he, he knows the inside and out. He's he knows everybody it, yeah. and just like built this empire that is martial arts and he's just like the most giving, kind human, man. Like they're just, they're awesome. The nine to five thing wasn't my thing. Uh, kind of came to a head and I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, so like yeah. parted ways and I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is like about two years ago. So like 2017, like, October-ish. I was like, what do I do? Like, I don't like the booking agent thing. I don't want to be a session musician anymore. I don't like the publishing world. And at that time, there were a couple, like, artists that were like, hey, man, like... Hey, can you hook me up with a gig? Well, no, no. Hey, can you you read this contract? Like, I think you understand this stuff pretty well. And my now wife, Jessie, formerly known as Charlotte sometimes, was Mm -hmm. always having me kind of, like, act as her manager and I was like yeah it's fine you know if we're married like I have I'll do it yeah. I now own half of these assets I should probably know this shit <laughs> uh, uh, so Chris Ayer started hitting me up I've known for a long time and played in his band he's like yo like I have a manager in the Netherlands but I'm uh, I can't tell if it's like a language issue or like something's lost in translation but can you check this shit out and I started he was like oh yeah this is not good dude <laughs> these are not these contracts are not artist friendly and he's yeah. like fuck okay uh, so we, he's like can I like throw you some bread to just kind of like help Deal out with this. Yeah, help yeah. me out yeah and then like it just kind of like oh, you, would you like kind of co-manage me with her and I was like uh, I don't know if I like the title of manager I don't know I don't feel like I know what I'm doing I feel like don't you have to be like a fucking guru to like manage and so I was like yeah fuck it like mine as well and then like like a bunch of the shit happened as soon as I opened my vision to that world and started saying yes to these things like they just started finding me so it was like all of a sudden, like within like a couple months span, I was like managing Chris, and then my buddy Drew McKeon hit me up, and he's like, "Hey, 
uh, Amanda Brown's going on the road with the killers and got like eight dates opening for them mm-hmm. at like arenas in the Southwest. And so I was like, she needs someone to help her navigate this stuff. I told her to call you. So she called me to like essentially like TM, but she was like self-managing at the time and releasing a record and like, you know, trying to orchestrate. She'd never done like a tour where she wasn't a hired gun. Like she's like, like oh, a side I, woman. Yeah. yeah she's, she's like, like, I'm a high, I mean, I'm responsible for this band now. And like, there's like logistics, but she's also like, has to like deal with the killers as like an employee. And so she hired me to like essentially TM and organize her two weeks on the road opening for the killers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, through that, we became very close, and I, I, I'm very opinionated and can't help myself and start offering <laughs> unsolicited advice. And she's yeah. like, "It was funny because at the end of the run, it was kind of like, so are we? Are you? Uh, are we? And she's like, do you want to <laughs> possibly manage me? And yeah. I was like, do you want me to manage you? And then yeah. she was like, yes. And I was like, yes, I would love to work with you. So I started managing Amanda and Chris and... Uh, uh, working with Jesse on a bunch of stuff, and she's you know she's very active in the sync and licensing world, so she's developing her repertoire in L.A. like writing under different monikers for sync and licensing purposes, and getting you know EPs signed with different sync houses, and um, you know navigating that world. So I'm learning a lot about that, and like really starting to understand publishing in the sync world, starting to like understand like what the management role is and then we I get her signed to a publisher called Modern Works Music Publishing which is like an independent publisher mm-hmm. um, and so they I start managing another artist out of Nashville which we it was, it's really hard to manage an artist if you're not in the same city yeah that's so that, that didn't last very long um, and then like my friend Anna Rose was like I need I, I need help like, I need to bring on someone to help manage, so she asked Was me. she in L.A. at this point in time? No, she's in New York. She's, she's always been She in New spends York. her time between Nashville and New York, but she has a much bigger manager, and she's like, would you, like, co-manage me and do more of the day-to-day stuff? Because he's got some, like, much larger clients, and, like, his attention is, like, bandwidth is limited yep. for independent artists. So she's like, I kind of need someone that he likes you, he trusts you, he's approved it. So I kind of came on as, like, a... So I'm managing Anna now and Jesse and Chris and Amanda. Um... And then I we do the Modern Works thing, and then we're like, oh, let's do like a, a a writing camp for Modern Works. And so we organize this writing camp. We end up flying in Greg Mayo for the writing camp, and then a bunch of like, because we're looking for like these like triple threats guys who can write, or not guys, but produce people who can sing, and produce, write. sing and write. Yep. And uh, so Greg comes in, and we're looking for a space, and uh, someone recommends this place called Killphonic, and it's like, oh, they have they have a couple studios like. They're still trying to, like, network and get their brand out there. And so I meet Caleb Shreve and John Siebels, and uh, they're like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, you use the space. It's great. And so we do this thing. And then, like, two weeks later, this is about, nobody's buddy is, a, like, August of last year, so 2018. Uh, Amanda's tour was in, like, January, February, March of 2018. Yeah. Um, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, you were like, damn, the killers? Yeah, yeah, October. 28 August we do the writing camp and then like in September Caleb and John like hey can you come in for a meeting and they're like hey we really dig you like would you consider coming on as like a like a business partner as like a third manager we kind of want to help grow the company we think you could be a good fit you seem like you know what you're talking about and so they kind of brought me in and I started going in kind of like the field house thing like there's no we're just like essentially merging our your assets our brain yeah 
everything, our brains, you have our assets. These great artists you're already managing. Yeah, yeah they already have artists, and so I kind of come in and uh, we start working together. And you know, John was is half of Eve Six. He's you know the guitar player. Oh, you didn't tell me that. That didn't come out till then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's K- awesome. K- Caleb's like an incredible producer and like lived in New York for a long time, but worked on like Fanagram Records and. Uh, you know, he was like he was like the youngest engineer ever at Sony. So he's like, he recorded like J Lo and Michael Jackson, and like the guy's resume is ridiculous. You know, he's yeah. like he's got you know he worked on Wu Tang records, and like, <laughs> it was pretty cool. So I come yeah, in and start awesome. working with them. He has stories for days. Eve Six starts blowing like has, like has a resurgence as a legacy act. So John has to like step down and like remove himself because he's like I got to go on the road. I got to go on the road with Eve so Six. So it's like again. now it's me and Caleb, and like we ha- like essentially like we're business partners at Killphonic, and it's like this. It's a like a it's a management company, and what's cool is like we kind of uh, spitball a lot off each other and learn a lot from each other, and um, we both have like between the two of us have a, a ton of contacts, mm-hmm. but we become very very uh, involved in rights administration. So like this Just is kind of this on is your, kind on of the website. Yes, yeah, this yeah. is kind of why I wanted to like come on this podcast because like I feel like I have a chance to like kind of like explain this shit to like all of the homies and like yeah. What I notice is, is like there's, a, there's, yeah. there's a huge uh, gap in the New York scene where like like in LA people understand it more because there's more music business shit happening. It seems like that in New yeah. York. It's like everyone's so focused on paying their rent because it's so hard. We tend to overlook royalties and like how like where all the money is. So like we. Caleb was like super into it because it was, he was a producer and like he's like where is my money yeah. and so we started figuring out and like I started learning about it trying to manage Jesse's assets and then like we started like talking about stuff together and like have kind of created this system where we were administrating all of the royalties for all of our artists like we created a, a record label it's an actual label imprint with an actual distributor there's no tune core there's no AWOL it's like Soul Spasm is a distributor that's been around for 20 years and like we have a label imprint so we like distribute through them. It's like a it's a real label services kind of thing. It's it's awesome. And it's, it's like awesome. I learned so much about releasing records and dis- distribution and how all that works. How Spotify and Apple. How do you get a playlist? How do you get on a slider? It's like oh, it's every distribute. Like if there's forty to fifty thousand songs coming out a week, how does a how does an editor do at Spotify through? go through that? It's like they don't. They every distributor or label has what they call a priority sheet. And they give like 10 or 20 suggestions to the editors, like, here's our favorite releases this week. If you're not on that list, you're probably not going to get heard. You're never going to make it. And yeah. like, but then those lists are prioritized. You know, they're going to listen to Universal's list before they're going to listen to Soul Spasms. Of course. But they're going to go through it and then like, and then they'll consider it. And, you know, if it's something that they recognize, you have a much better chance. But uh, if you're not on those priority sheets, you're not getting considered. So we're like, man, we need to, we need this label imprint to make sure that our artists that we're releasing music for are getting heard, getting some sort of traction, and then yeah. starting to be like, oh, so where where is the money? Like everyone's complaining, Spotify's the devil, and it's like yeah. you start looking at the numbers, like, oh, Spotify actually is saving the music industry. They're like, you know, I'm making this number up, but I, you know, I think it's like a billion dollars a year goes through Spotify, and like, yes, they spend money on shit they. We can question like the New York offices and salaries and stuff, but it's like most, a lot of the money, most of the money gets passed through to the artist. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, Spotify is actually the the, the median. Like uh, Apple pays twice as much, Google pays half as much, but people like to villainize Spotify because it's easy. Because it's the big one. It's the one we all use. It's, right? it's, yeah, it's the industry standard. They're the only one that has uh, all the numbers public facing, so I can see how many times you're. Uh, uh, like any of the Paul Madison stuff has been streamed. Like you can't on Apple without using 
a portal. Mm. So uh, it's it's so interesting. All stuff I didn't know. And you think, yeah, yeah, I've been like, doing this forever. You should you know, just know this shit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like people don't realize is like the uh, like you know, there's a lot of money in covers, right? Because you can cover somebody else's song, and if it's been released, you don't need permission to release it. You, it's called a compulsory license. Like you can just release it, and like uh, streaming services created blanket deals where you actually don't need a mechanical license either. If you're just streaming, releasing the song for streaming, if you want to cover a uh, what's a good example? You want to cover a, a Brandy Carlisle song. Like she can't contest it. Like she, like like if she's already released it, like you're allowed to cover it and release it. Spotify pays all the mechanicals. Uh, they do the licenses for you. You don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You, 80, like, for whatever, all the legislation and crap that happened, like, uh, streaming is still the wild, wild west, but, like, all, all the politics aside, like, you know, there's a lot of lobbying and stuff, so the end result was all the money in streaming, 80% goes to the sound recording owner. So, for a cover... That's pretty high. It doesn't matter who wrote it, because 80% of all the streaming money is going to you... The sound you, recording owner. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I don't need a, I don't need to pay for a mechanical license if it's only streaming, and I get eighty percent of the revenue. This is sick. Why not do this? And like, yeah. oh, you know, we have a, a, a some mutual friends who prefer to be anonymous that have a band called Victories that we created. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a producer project. You know, it's three of the homies, uh, Jesse and I. We, we do these internet writing camps where we send, she writes predictive briefs, and she's like, wow, all these like dark '90s shows are being rebooted. Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch which is called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina uh, Roswell and Charmed were all getting rebooted and all these briefs are floating around LA like they're looking for witchy music dark music and so Jesse wrote a brief and sent it out to some of the homies and one of them a group of the homies wrote like did a cover of Black Magic Woman mm-hmm. and it, it got in the show and it had like a like a full 60 second placement where it was a featured vocal meaning no, no one was talking over the track. It was like the singer was the vocal in the yeah. track, which you get like a much bigger license for that kind of a usage. Um, and then we released it on streaming services, and it went haywire. Mm-hmm. And like they, you know, they 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 hit a million streams. Was it a million or two million? It's a, I think a, a million streams in the first year. Amazing. Crazy, crazy, and it, it gets five thousand streams a day just from user playlists. But uh, Peter, uh, shoot, uh, who's like the original member for Fleetwood Mac? It was that's it, like the main guy from Fleetwood oh, Mac. Oh, 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 the original when it was a uh, uh, Peter a, Green. Peter Green, good call. Yeah, yeah. yeah, wrote the song. Wrote Black Magic Woman. Yes. That Santana popularized. It's a Santana cover. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, like, we have this cover and it's making money and, like, you know, it's funny. Got, like, all the, like, I got emails from, like, a bunch of major labels. Like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, this band? It's like, uh, it's a producer project, but it can be, like, they're the three of the best musicians in New York City. Like, they could be a real band tomorrow. Yeah. And they're like, oh, cool. Well, you know, let us know if anything else happens. And, but like it's like a great example of like look this is kind of how the industry works like we don't we only we had to get a mechanical license for downloads like if you want to do downloads on iTunes it's considered a permanent physical download it's a considered a physical product so you have to you do need to buy a mechanical license for that interesting which is that you pay you prepay for the you have to kind of guess what you think you're going to sell mm-hmm. um, and that's annual like you if it goes unused it doesn't matter it evaporates and you have to do it again every year. Um, but, uh, uh, 
the, so like the, the streaming royalty is like 80%. So the other, where's the other 20% go? 20% goes, comes from 10% are paid to the mechanicals. 10% is paid to the performing royalty. Your what we call publishing, which mm-hmm. is that 10% is 5% goes to the writer's side. 5% goes to the publisher's side. And then there's 10% mechanical sitting out there. And everyone's like, what's a mechanical? How do I get that? But it's there. And there's like a, been a bunch of music legislation recently. You might know the MMA, the Music Modernization Act, mm-hmm. created a government program that's going to be called the Mechanical Licensing Commission or Collective. I can't remember. But the MLC, and it's going to allow artists to claim their mechanical royalties uh, through a, 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 a website similar to SoundExchange where you're going to have to submit a repertoire sheet and be like, I want my mechanicals. Yeah. Uh, and they'll pay you your streaming mechanicals because this money's going uncollected. There's like billions of dollars sitting out there. <laughs> and the, the major publishers are actually trying to get that money and liquidate it and yep. pay it by market share. They're hoping that you don't. Don't know about it. Don't know about it because they can. T- they're going to take that money. Yeah. So that's where like this. There's been a lot of politics that we've been on the ground floor. You've been there since Kilphonic, yeah. like is like involved. Like you know, we're talking to both sides. There were two factions, uh, kind of going head to head to try to get the con the government contract to create the MLC. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like you know a side backed by the major publishers and a side backed by independent songwriters, and. The uh, mu- the major publisher backside won, of course, and so now it's kind of like everyone, all eyes are on what's happening, and there's like lots of like rumors and dirty shit happening behind the scenes. Um, but you know, information is key. They can't take your money if you know it's there. Mm-hmm. So they're hoping that you don't know it's there. But uh, come 2021, you'll be able to sign up for the MLC, much like you sign up for Sound Exchange, and claim your mechanical royalties. Um, you know, I hope everyone listening is a member of Sound Exchange. Sound Exchange is neighboring rights. Neighboring rights is a. Uh, I'm gonna have to listen back to this and take notes, right? It's a royalty paid to so much knowledge, you know? Singers, you know what I mean? Like, like uh, there are no neighboring rights for composers. It's you know, if you're a singer, you should be filling out your Sound Exchange. Like, if if you sing on anything, you can claim the neighboring rights. Neighboring rights are only paid in the United States on non-interactive streaming, which would be your Pandora's. Sirius XM is considered that internet radio. Yeah. But if you're, it's a, it's like 50 50. Half of it goes to the sound recording owner, the label side. Half of it goes to the uh, featured performer. Featured performer side, much like your writer's share, they're calling it an inalienable right. So it has to get paid to you, but you have to claim it. You have to claim it, yeah. Like uh, on your, you know, ASCAP, BMI, CSEC, uh, you register your song and the money comes in, right? Yep. As long as you register it correctly. Um, whereas this, like, you have to fill out a form and ask for it. Um, so, I mean, I really wanted to stress on this podcast, like, you know, artists, you ha- you make money off of the sound recording, which is going to be your distributor or label collects money when people are actually playing your song. Mm-hmm. You need to, you have your neighboring rights, which is for Americans, is going to be sound exchange. Filling out your sound exchange accurately, you know, making sure you have your, ISRCs, your International Standing Recording Code, which you get from your distributor or label. Um, there's also the International Standard of like Writing Code, which is the ISWC that like your PRO will assign a composition. Um, making sure that when you upload your shit to uh, your, whether you're using TuneCore or whatever, it, you use Distro your kid. use your legal name that you have registered with your PRO when you're putting in the composer. Your, if you use your stage name because you want to look cool, your money's going to have a hard time finding you because. <laughs> They're sending those like 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 ridiculous databases to the PROs, 
and they have to go like, fuck, uh, who's P. Maddie? Yeah, no, Doug, you're, you're talking, I don't know anybody who isn't fucking up what you just said. I, I mean, don't think I know a single person who They're like, oh, uh, what? but I don't want my legal name on there. Yeah, I was like, yeah, but then no. your money's going to have a hard time find finding you. Yep, yeah. Like, you need to put, if you're writing a song, you need to put your full legal name, the exact name that is on your PRO. Oh, my God. On, on the composer side. There's just so many steps that are easily fuck upable. Yeah, I mean, like the mechanical royalties you're right like, now, you have to. So every, uh, if I can make one request of everybody listening. Holy shit. Make sure you have a publishing entity. Like, everyone is probably self-published. And to be self-published, like, you have to have a publishing entity at ASCAP yeah. or BMI. I think yep. ASCAP makes you do it. You have to request it on BMI. Um, but they're going to, like, BMI is going to be like, no, but we'll find the money and pay it through. It's horseshit. It's ineffective. <laughs> it's a There's lie. so much. So but, that money, they're just But you can't up. claim your mechanicals without a publishing entity because they're all, like, you have to go to Harry Fox and Music Reports and fill out a repertoire sheet and submit it. And in order to claim your mechanicals, they're only going to pay it to a publisher. Now, in 2021, the stream... Because we're talking streaming mechanicals, right? Odds are, like, people like people aren't making physical products, which is where... Or, like, getting played on the radio in our scene. Yeah. And that's where a lot of mechanicals also come from. But there are a lot of streaming mechanicals for our homies. So, like, in order to claim your mechanicals at Harry Fox, at Music Reports... They're t- two different companies that handle streaming mechanicals. You need to have a publishing entity, and that publishing entity needs to be registered to all of your compositions that are registered with BMI and ASCAP. Please get it. CSAC's a thing, but like BMI and ASCAP are your better bets. They're not. They're not for profit. CSAC is a for-profit PRO. I'm probably gonna get blackballed for saying this shit. <laughs> uh, but I'm a drummer. Okay. I don't give a fuck. I don't have any it's compositions. Okay. Yeah. I'm not writing anything. I can be the bad guy. Uh, this is amazing. You know so much. You're just like, hey, blah, oh, dude, like, it, it gets even weirder when you start talking. YouTube has a whole separate rule set. In like, oh yeah. When you start talking about CID, content identification for tracks on YouTube, it's like a, something you have to elect your distributor to collect on your behalf, or you can create. You can apply for a. If you're a label, you can apply for a uh, a portal, which at Killphonic we do. Uh, you have to apply for different portals for mechanicals and publishing at YouTube. We got the publishing one. We're working on the mechanical one. And then there's like the actual page monetization, which people think, I was like, oh, I'm monetizing my shit. It's like, no, uh, your distributor should be monetizing the sound recording, meaning they create a fingerprint and they track the all of the YouTube looking for like unlicensed usages of your song, which then they throw an ad on that and then collect that money and pay you f- for the sound recording use. Then they can. You also are supposed to get paid for the publishing and the mechanicals as well. Mm-hmm. But if you have a ton of traffic on your page, and say you know, there's plenty of YouTube informative YouTube videos. That that is like page monetization comes in. Like it's, it has nothing to do with your music. Like it has to do with the actual like videos and views on the videos. That doesn't. That is not related to your music. Like if you want to monetize your page, that's a whole separate thing. And like have like, all these minimum requirements in order to qualify. And you have to. Like routinely hit these minimums to keep your page monetized. Like at uh, our label, our distributor can't ha- has all the a lot of these portals as well. So like they will admin pages for our artists, and they can they will uh, do all the content ID and monetize everything. Um, there, are, there. I mean, there's also like really great companies like Audium, A U D I A M, that will go. You can sign up, and they will collect mechanicals for you. Uh, you can apply for it. And you just upload your your, res- your repertoire 
and uh, they go and they have like these like they call them spiders. They fingerprint your music and the spiders comb the entire internet. And then they have like they bring back like we think this is the same song. And then they have teams that manually review everything is... and go like yes, 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 yes. And then they find mechanical royalties royalties for you. And this, this is actually a really big deal if you're a writer. And so mm-hmm. you have like we have a friend who she has like some writing on some pretty big songs that have like hundreds of millions of streams on YouTube. And she's like I've never been paid. And, and like, what's to, gonna really you, fuck you up is when you realize that like all the major publishers are fucking this shit up too. Like you know, yep. we, we pulled up her stuff and they're like, oh yeah, look, like Universal is claiming a hundred percent of this, but they don't represent any writers. They're just claiming it. They're just claiming it because they see, have lawyers and people who trying think to about see this if shit you're not, on the streets. Like, yeah, we were like, hey, you know, you don't have any claim to this. Like we, they won't release the money until there's a hundred percent claimed. And right now it's two hundred percent is being claimed. And like, oh, our bad, they removed it. And like now it's being sorted, and we can finally get people the money that they're expecting. Yeah, but it's Jesus like it's like the, the, the majors are fucking this shit up, man. They're like purposely just fucking everybody. Yeah, I always like to think of I always like to think of it this way: It's like if your employer can fuck you, they will. Totally. I mean, like, yeah, that's I, just the name of business. But also, the, no matter what you do, this is the problem like, with well, uh, gonna, uh, technology. Like, yeah. like you know, you're gonna like I'm going to like say some controversial shit, but like you know, cobalt. Like, it's one of the sick. Uh, let's see the a huge, huge. It's, it's one of the biggest music. It's Swedish like Sony, uh, Sony TV, Warner Chapel, UMPG, uh, BMG, and Cobalt are like the five major publishers. Yep, and it isn't. It's usually between Sony and Cobalt, right? Or the no, no, no. Those are the five biggest publishers in the world. Like, okay. um, uh, and then you know, there's some smaller like up and com- like Concord just bought a bunch of publishers like bicycle and some other one. i think they, they bought razor and tie and uh there's you no know, there people there all these everything's like everyone's buying each other you know it's kind of a problem but like cobalt has this pitch where they have k-tech and k-tech is the future and like we have algorithms that go and like comb the internet and find your royalties and it's like then you go and start looking in the back end and you're like this is a fucking nightmare because you know computers can't talk to each other and they're not being like yeah. actually like Here's the splits. Here are the writers. Here's yeah. who their publishers are. Like, like the computer doesn't can't do any of that. So, like, shit's fucked up. Lots of people with like massive publishing deals and admin deals with the majors aren't getting their money because they're just they have so much going on that they're not going through and actually looking at the claims. And uh, um, what's the industry word like? Uh, but they're not actually like resolving the they're conflicts. Not, yeah, they're just. They found a way to make themselves more money, really. Right, but they're, 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 but they're not making the money. That's the problem because the computers are all claiming stuff, and then the money gets frozen, so no one gets paid mm-hmm. because it's inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, usually, you know, ma- we love to say major publishers and major labels are for major artists. Yep. Independent labels and independent publishers are for independent artists. You know, yes. if I can plead with anyone, it's like you know, consider an administrative deal. Well before a publishing deal, publishing deals are like really, really difficult to navigate, and very, very often end in absolute misery for the songwriter. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. are wonderful stories, and like major publishers do really good jobs with people that they prioritize. But like you know, if you're you know, an independent musician, you know, look at like there are ways to find administrators that are good at what they do and can help you collect. But you need to have worth to get people to want to work with you. Like if you have a thousand streams cumulatively across your entire catalog, like you're not, no one's going to make any money off no that. No one's so making like any Why money. are they going, you know, 
Everyone likes to blame Spotify. I don't make any money. It's like, well, no one's listening to your fucking music. Yeah, of course. Of course you don't You're make any You're making great money. music. You're doing great, but like... Yeah. But it's, a, you know, there's there's plenty of ways to make money, and there's a lot of money out there, and like... That's been fun working at Killphonic because finding it very – it's very challenging because – You've learned a lot. It's, and and it's now changing. you have information and you can educate all these people and well, help can, them navigate it. And yeah. advocate. Like, yeah. That's the other big thing. It's like, man, there's nothing better than hiring my friends. You know what I mean? Like, I get to go and it's like, cool. Like, uh, you know, I signed uh, an artist that I'm managing named Flavia. She's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like F-L-A-V-I-A. Check her out. All caps. She's in a force of nature. Like, like this young woman can do it all. She like writes – Writes her own shit, produces her own shit. Like she was navigating all of her own pub splits before I met her. Uh, releases her own shit, does all of her own promotion and PR. Like gets all of her songs up to a few hundred thousand streams herself. Wow! Gets, like, what she, a monster! She's a monster. Like has has a show. She's an incredible performer. Can sing, dance, play. Uh, she's gorgeous. She's smart. She's humble. Just a real person. And yeah, and I was like, <laughs> I met her, and she's playing solo. And, and like, I was like, I lo- what? I had to like lobby an interview for her for like six months before she's like finally was like, I'm down. You're my manager. She's like, I've been interviewing twenty other managers, and you're the last guy standing. I've chewed them up and spit them out, and. You're the Six only, months later, yeah, you're yeah. the only one still standing here. <laughs> you're like still like, no, you're the shit. I'm yeah, gonna you're help the shit. You I, yeah. like, I, I don't. I just, I think, I believe in you so much, and I was like, you know, let's, let's like start considering a band. So like, I talked her into hiring Sarb Singh as mm-hmm. to play drums for her in L.A. And like, without you know, his his resume is also ridiculous. But ridiculous. like, I was, I was like, no, this is your guy. This is your guy. And then she finds out that he's you know been touring with Charlie XCX and played with Sarah Bareilles and Ingrid Michaelson. Like Sarah, she, yeah. Now she looks cool and feels cool, and he absolutely adores her, and, like, it's it's fun. I get to hire my friends. Yeah, yeah. And I get to advocate for them, and I feel like I'm so much better at that than I ever was at playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't say. you're an amazing I, drummer, bro. I'm a good drummer. Like, uh, there are a lot... Josh Dion's an amazing drummer, you know what I mean? It's like... But if I can look at him as an independent artist, right now, yeah. whatever he's become, you know. Yeah, I mean, if I can, but I can, lo- I can. We need more advocates, and we need more uh, people to inform our community. It's like I'm gonna do so much more for our scene, in my opinion, by going out and like fighting the good fight and mm-hmm. like learning this information, and then I can turn around and like arm everybody with this knowledge. It's like you know. Email me, ryan at killphonic.com. K-I-L-L-P-H-O-N-I-C. Do it. Answer all your you got fucking yeah, yeah. questions. Like, like, I'll do my best within my bandwidth to try to help as all of our homies. Yeah. Um, I'm always down for a coffee or a happy hour to kind of take an hour and just like vomit this information on people. <laughs> help people navigate this incredibly complex world. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I think a lot of artists, you get a little bogged down in this. Even you start to crawl into it and you're like oh well I'll just keep working on music or like, what am I you know like it takes confusing, man. Like, it is confusing it's sync and licensing let's do a quick master class really quick so sync and licensing like first piece of advice and I'm gonna get fucking killed for saying this like it's in LA man like most of the shows are in LA all Everything the relationships in LA, are in right? LA like don't sign a sync and licensing deal with someone that isn't based in LA because once you start talking with the music supervisors which we're friends and uh, 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 contemporaries with now in LA like we're going out for drinks with them we're going to shows with them like we're like Jesse's done a really incredible job at networking with these people and becoming getting inside their uh, inner they circles yeah, yeah. yeah they trust her circle. now yep. because she took a job working at a publisher running their creative 
and um, she's like she's not just she's not an artist to them she's like she's an insider so like we become friends with these people and like we start hearing about like what do you look for and like dude like there's like it's not a high paying gig they're getting they're working so many shows it's like dude we're we send out a brief we get emails back and like we go through like the the, the handles that we recognize like we look for our friend like the people we know mm-hmm. we listen to like you know three to five songs per email and like we just start if we find it in the first email the song we're looking for that's it that's the gig yeah yeah but like we're opening emails from our friends first yep Makes and then sense. if we you find this, if we find the song that we like that's it all the, all the other emails get deleted we move on to the next need mm-hmm. and so it's like oh that man makes like, complete sense why are you it. signing with a sync company that's based in Chicago that does like that doesn't have any of these connections because it, it's constantly changing like people are bouncing back and f- like from different companies to different companies like you have to be on the ground you have to be making these like personal relationships with these people out of sight out of mind so and sync and licensing it's like you know trying to manage expectations like everyone goes like why isn't my music getting synced it's like well maybe because it's not good for sync like yeah does yeah. it sit well in a picture does it support the scene are you leaving the right amount of space is it like is it too distracting like there's all these things that you're you know there are reasons why certain people just get tons and tons of syncs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're writing for these specific needs and some people like jesse are learning how to be really good at writing for these needs but masking that and making it sound like an artist material like an art like artist material i believe this is exactly what jay has done with Jackson, you know his Jay Stolar? Yeah. I don't know. He I've... has like a rock band that is geared. He's like, yeah, we wrote all these songs to be like in the Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like, like that like, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. exactly what you're saying. And you, you create a moniker and like, like you create totally. a moniker and it's a band that sounds like totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jay's a very, very, very smart dude. And He's like, a very smart dude. He is good at Is connecting. he going to do a Secret Famous? Oh yeah, no. I I mean, he's. I can't even pin him down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I need like a. The I, car actually is in L.A. now. You know what I mean? So I'll I'll see him. And like I'll be like, what are you doing in L? Like he's at Hotel Cafe, and it's like, dude, why didn't you tell me? He's like, oh, I'm busy. That's like, yeah, I get it. We're all busy. We're uh, no. He he has agreed to do one. He'll do one. Oh, I can't wait to hear that. I want to <laughs> hear about like all that because he's getting an, his Hall and Oates story, his train story. Yeah, the, the uh, uh, what's it? The Philly. Uh, what's that song called? I don't even know. Philly Shuffle. And I was like, that's like the Aloe Black song with the Brooklyn Love or whatever. Oh, uh, Brooklyn Summer. Spring in Brooklyn. Spring, spring in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah, or yeah. Brooklyn Spring. And then, yeah, there's like the, the, the Philly song with it's like Hollow Notes and Train. And Train. <laughs> and he's like the dude. <laughs> and it's a, but it sounds like a Stolar song. You put it on, I was like, <laughs> yeah, it is that, sounds like is that Pat Monahan singing a Jay Stolar song? It's a Jay song. But right. like, he's got such a, a thing. Yeah, that it comes out in the melodies and, the, yep. and like it's like I I hear that this is like I had to like I was like wait a minute I texted Jay I was like did you by chance write a song for S- Hollow Notes and the train he's like yes I was like oh dude this you is heard like, it you didn't know that going into it and you mm-hmm. heard it and thought mm-hmm. it I like showed up on my oh release my radar God. and I was like this sounds like a Stoller song it's like this is so weird that's amazing I sat when I started this I sat down with him and I he. It was to he gave me a whole thing and told me this whole story and I was like, well, oh, dude, we're gonna have to do this. And then he couldn't. It wasn't even out yet. And he's like, well, we have to do it after the song comes out. Right. And that's how long it's been since I've even seen him again. You know what I mean? So yeah, he's getting into that, that world, man. And like, that's once you're in, you're once in. Once you're in. So it's he's. Like, and he was even implying like you only have a, a limited window of even being in that world. Like it's like you're in and then. You're the next thing. You're gone. What's next? You know. Yeah, the the writing to brief shit is really challenging. Like, and I see that in LA. Like, everyone wanting to write for 
bigger artists. It's like, man, like that is truly who you know. Like, hope, you have to have an yeah. a, like, you have to be like an A and R's like signing, and they have to like champion you and like start putting you in all these rooms, or you have to like win the lottery and get a huge cut. And then everyone starts coming to you. Yep. I mean, Justin. Is that Tran- maybe what happened to Dave Pittenger? Something like that? No, Pitt. That's a that's different a game. Different so, world. So, so the Nashville's like its own like insulated world, like. It's completely backwards. Everything's backwards in the music industry, and Nashville is like a weird inverse of the backwards. Because like like uh, Dave and I were talking about this. um, You know, in LA, writers and producers have managers, Mm -hmm. and that's very normal. The rest of the world in Nashville, they don't. Your publisher acts as your manager in a way. So he's like Dave's like like I have a lawyer who handles who acts as like one half of my management like they handle the contracts and negotiations and then my publisher handles like my schedule and like my repertoire and like so like but they, they they're very hands-on because there's so many publishing companies and they're very uh meticulous on who they sign and like it's it's that's the thing because like they sign you they want to groom you they want you to write a bunch of stuff and then they, they they spend a ton of cash getting it to radio and then like if they get to number one everyone you know makes a few hundred thousand dollars and they rake in the cash and like they pay off the advances and but also it's also really cool because like they only do like stomachable advances where it's like you'll sign a publishing deal for like one to two years and you'll get like a you know 30 to fifty thousand dollar advance but they'll turn it into a, like a monthly stipend so you're mm. getting like a wage yeah, and then like it's a, it's a very recoupable. It's like very practical. And then like you have like one year uh, options, depending on if you've like recouped or if you're like doing doing really well. Like the publisher can option you for another year, usually two options, and then you can renegotiate your contract. You know, and talking to Pittenger and like he's he's just you know we I talk about poker a lot and like I learned that from Dave. Like it's a very it's a great analogy because like you're learning how to like take risks in a very calculated calculated way right yeah. so like Dave Mitigating is, risk, yeah, yeah. Dave is building his repertoire and the idea that like he's going to keep developing this repertoire that he can grow into an asset to help him get bigger and bigger publishing deals yeah and so he's 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 writing his way up the ladder in Nashville whereas he, like in, he's in the he's at the big parties yeah yeah but like it's, it's mainly bro country right that's like the big money in Nashville. So mm-hmm. Those are the songs we all like to make fun of, like <laughs> government-sponsored country. But yeah. they no the bro country. It's like it's like misogynistic-sponsored country. country. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna I say it. That. That's I'm new. gonna say it. Like it's yeah, fucking like what it is. Yeah. It's you know people complain bro about hip hop talking about bitches and hoes, but no one's talking about like bro country. The yeah. bro country, like throwing the female under the bus. It's yeah. Like, it's gonna change, you know. That's there's definitely a, gonna there's change. There's a wave of the last incredible young female writers in Nashville right now. So. There's gotta be. I look, yeah. Well, and then so LA is a whole different. It's people writing, you, trying to get into the pop world, which is even even tougher. Even man. tougher world because it's super super competitive. A bazillion people. Everyone's writing songs, you know, and like like you know, there's uh, yeah, there's six, and like artists are getting savvy, and they they want to be in on the rights, like they don't want to miss out on the publishing because like you know all that money on radio goes to publishing as well like, I don't yeah. I could be wrong but I don't think there's much money in the masters on radio which is why streaming has so much money in the masters because like on the radio it's all about publishing like, yeah. which is why like people go to Nashville to write for the radio for because the radio. like there's a lot of money there between mechanicals and publishing and um, there's no neighboring rights so it's, the singers get totally fucked which is a bummer, and that's a whole other conversation about politics in America and how there's three countries in the world that don't pay neighboring rights to terrestrial radio. It's North Korea, Iraq, and North and the United States of America. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> so, the best quote that's a quote of the podcast. Oh my right god! So, yeah. I mean, like Blake, Blake Morgan's a great advocate for this. He's no, got great. the I, I, I respect music American. movement, which is lobbying to try to like change those laws mm. because it's it sucks. It's like man, like why why are these artists being punished for singing other people's music? Oh my gosh! Yeah. And that's why artists are starting to be like, you know what? I want in on these rights because like I, I need to make money too. Like it's not you know they make their money on, on like touring and endorsement deals and private events and. But they should be getting neighboring rights on terrestrial radio, and they're not. Uh, but yeah, LA is a, I, LA is you know it's definitely a lot of pop music. You know the pop machine. It's, it's there. It's there. You and you alluded to something earlier that I wanted. Maybe you have a keener insight. Uh, um, you were saying like New Yorkers were all hustling to pay our rent, right? But LA is doing the same thing. So is it just that people have bigger physical studios? Is it just that's where the writing it's different growth? Is it? Why is it all there? Because I mean, like here, you have to have like you have your apartment and like you have your podcast space. I have a you probably tiny like, space. Like, I make write songs in here, but I can't do a full. Well, you know, Caleb Holly has two different spaces, right? Yeah. Because it's like he's got so much shit happening. It's like, but like if he had a house, he could just do it all there. Yeah. And it's like so L.A. Like producers will go and like, like buy a, houses. Yeah, the, or they'll they'll have a house. And you get a three bedroom house and. One room can be like the, the the music studio. One room can be you know that they rent out to a buddy, and then they have like their room, and you can make it work. You don't have to have the prices are lower. Like the 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 cost of living is lower. Yeah. Like you know this is kind of what allowed me to move to LA is uh, everything changed when car share came. Like. This is going to sound crazy. <laughs> I take the train every day. <laughs> in L.A., yeah. In L.A. <laughs> I walk to the train in North Hollywood, and I take it 25 minutes to downtown. What about the limes? I don't do it. It's L.A., there's no... It's a little dangerous. Well, there's no, like, there's no bike lanes. Like, there's there's no, like, no bike lanes, I know. People, and people are on their phones, in their car. Everyone runs red lights. Everyone, like, makes right turns on red. So it's like, you have to, like, I barely listen to music now when I walk because, like, I'm just waiting to get hit by a car. Just abject fear, huh? Whereas, just... like, a New Yorker, it's like, they just, like, hit me, I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different attitude. <laughs> right, right. In L.A., you're like, oh, my God, like, they're going to kill me. Like, they they don't see you. Like, I got yeah. hit by a car, but not, like, it's in a bad way. suburbia, right? Like, this guy, like, it was the weirdest thing. I walked up to an intersection. Like, the light, uh, the little the white man gave Came me the go-ahead, right? Like, you know, red hand, a white man. I look at this guy who stops at the red light. He's making a right turn. I look at him. I swear we, we made, made eye contact. Yep. His daughter is sitting next to him. I was like, I start to walk. And then he goes. And like, like oh my God. She, you know, the daughter screams. He slams on the brakes. And like, he like barely taps my knee. And I just stand there and I do the New York. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm walking here. Red me, stop, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. And I was just like, and he's like, he was like, oh my God, oh my God. I was like, dude, you were, didn't even fucking see you were on it. your phone. Yeah. It's like, we made eye contact. It's like, oh. I'm crossing. And he just forgot. And like, Thank God you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get, and he just, he like, it's like it barely tapped. And I was just like, you know, the New Yorker. Like, you screamed at and him. And Angel, yeah, screamed at him. And Angelino would be like, oh my God, I need your insurance. Like, I'm suing. Yeah. Yeah. But I was just like, oh, dude, you're fine. But like, Pay attention. Pay attention, asshole. Yeah, yeah. So no no lime scooters for me, no uh, bird scooters. Um, but I do love the train. And then I take... You and know, you rent a car. You do I have own a car. car. You I own a car. A, you My, have to have a car, dude, though, right? Just to even get the, 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 the Aveo, Johnny Rotten, is still running. I remember... Uh, 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 I think they were like bets over like what state my car would break down in. 
<laughs> when I drove out to LA. Yeah, when you drove that fucker out. Elon like hooked me up and uh, our buddy Elon. Yes. Uh, the mechanic for musicians. He's dude, he's a genius. And like he like fixed my car and he's like, bro, you're gonna be fine. He's like and he did all the work and his he's like the entire like uh uh, uh the entire uh, uh shop was like cool. So I got uh Indianapolis. <laughs> And Elon's like, I made so much money, man. He's like, he's like, I did the work. I knew you were gonna make it. You were gonna make it, <laughs> and it's still running, believe it or not. That's it's, amazing. I did take three it years in. later. Yeah, yeah. So it's a 2004. It's 15 years old. It has like 200,000 miles. It's 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 got like it's got terminal cancer. Like I took it in for a uh, <laughs> an inspection, and they're like, bro, uh, consider me like, take this like an uncle like I'm like your uncle talking to you this is, this is what the, <laughs> this is the, this is what the mechanic he's like, he's like yeah. I don't know how to tell you this but like your car is sick it's very sick it's like very safe he's like you're fine but like you shouldn't put any more money in this car and yeah. he's like we're not gonna fix any of this shit and he's like he's I'm like, gonna do a sur- uh, and like, he's like, like this visits on me <laughs> Like, <laughs> so like we changed the oil. He's developing a relationship with you. Yeah, he's, he's martial like, arting you right he's now. He's like, yeah. it's, it's, your car is very Look, sick. It's not going to, you know. Stop putting money in this. It could be two months. It could be two years. Like we don't know when it's going to go, but it's going to go. Yep. And it's going it, to. You you should just buy a new car if you're going to put any more money into it. So like it's it's on its way out, but it's still running. You can either Tesla now because you live in LA. Yeah, I gotta I gotta write that hit song, bro. <laughs> I gotta like you know hang it's out with Jay Stolar, write a word, yeah. get a third, <laughs> yeah, word a third, and be like Jay, 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 like I'm uh, getting uh, a Tesla. Like, let's, yeah, uh, no, I actually thinking about like they have like a, uh, a lot of the car share services have monthly subscriptions oh. where you can pay like a monthly. There's a couple other things like I just uh, that's got to be the thing like, in LA, right? Why isn't that a thing yet? Like it you know, is. Like car people, to go, zip car. There's like a there's like a, a new thing. It's uh, the uh, the evolution of all that where it's. Not it's like leasing a car, but it's not. It's like essentially like a subscription service where you rent, you get a car, you put down like a little money, and then you get a card. It includes insurance and everything. They handle everything for you, and it's like two hundred bucks a month. Forget what it's called. That's the way to do it. A lot of the New Yorkers are doing it. You don't own the car. You don't have to pay the insurance every fucking yeah everything everything everything. all included. Um, so like people are doing that. Like I would, I just kind of, I don't want to have a car. I hate driving. I hate having a car. Uh, probably just like you know, the wife and I would share a car because she needs the car more than I do and like if I yeah. happen to take the rare gig where I need to pack my drums up and shit like I would you can rent I could, I would, or I'd borrow her car yeah and like she could take go. a lift and otherwise I'm, I'm walking I'm taking the train I'm taking lifts um yeah and like uh, tr- you know try to make people like come to a convenient neighborhood like you know the 405 might as well be the Hudson River like no one's. Crossing. I know you were you were telling me that last December. It kind of broke my heart. Honestly, it's like I'm not going. I'm not going to Venice, whole, dude. I'm not gonna go meet oh, for you so, for coffee. It's, it's, like, it's so gonna take beautiful me all over day. there, though. I know, I know. There's got to be a scene of musicians over there, though. There's not. There's got to be. They all move there for a year, and they're like, "Man, I don't see any of my friends." Like, it's like I'm torn between like all of my friends and the ocean. So it's like once you, it's the huge artist, right? All the Chili Peppers live in Malibu. Yeah, probably. Like, like I mean, yeah, or like the huge artist, yeah, Miley, yeah. Miley I mean, Spot in Malibu, dude. She gets driven in over the four hundred five, right? Dude, totally. If I didn't have to drive and like I had a driver, sure, I would live on the west side. <laughs> <laughs> just like answer emails in the back seat and like yeah, do work the whole make time. phone calls and like yeah, sh- that sounds great. Oh my god, oh that's so funny. Might have to take another so quick pause. Yeah, 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 another quick pee break. Pee break. And we're live again. We're back. The third act. Woo! 
Act right. three. Act three. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, like, the recap. So, like, I'm in L.A. I do music management full-time now. Um, amongst other things, uh, I started a company with my wife for, like, custom music for sync and licensing called Head Bitch Music. Yep. Love the name. Yeah. Uh, doing So that's both you guys? Yeah. Doing that. A lot of sync and licensing. Yep. A uh, little bit of publishing stuff. And then... I deviate off of her as backline creative, which is like my consultancy business, where I do like, you know, people who need help with, you know, navigating this crazy industry that is the music business. Yep. Like I I'll I'll get hired on as a consultant to like help clean up like their royalties, the back end stuff and um or do other miscellaneous things. Um uh partnered with Killphonic. So I have a management roster of about ten or twelve different artists. Uh, that we manage, you know, Caleb and I, and then we have like an office administrator, and then we do we have like a label imprint. We have we do all of our own rights administration. We have a studio, so we can do everything from like soup to nuts. We can like we have a couple studios, so we can like help write, record, produce, mix, mix, master, master release, yeah. market, market. So we have like a bunch of market. We like developed our own marketing strategies and like run a lot of ads. Like the social media ads, the Google ads, um, all sorts of different shit. And then... You do exactly what your trumpet player professor said to you to do. Yeah, trying to spin... <laughs> you just wrote verbs spinning, on the board. So yeah. This is the music business. Spinning I do. all the plates, man. And trying and, to like... And you're still playing. You've, I, I play occasionally now. I play more for fun. I'll play with like yeah. friends and family. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll occasionally sub a wedding gig. Uh, I keep a regular church gig. For fun, because it doesn't conflict with anything, you know, like age Your twelve. Sunday morning, yeah, yeah, and go and like you could probably get there easy, right? Sunday morning traffic, super easy. Yep, uh, beautiful. It's a, like a really cool networking opportunity. There's like a, it's like a, a bunch of cats that are at this church that are uh, in this music scene as well. So that, that's it's fun. I get to go and like hang out and network with these cats, and then um, good. I'm glad that you're still playing though. It's good st- for your soul. Yeah, yeah still yeah. playing. Uh, working on. Uh, I get to be uh, like an assistant producer to Anna Rose on uh, a musical that we're working on which is why I get to be in New York right now it's like a long lost Alan Menken musical from the 70s yep. so like working on that which is cool like I'm not playing I'm actually like p- like part of Anna's team and like like overse- New York like, sucked you back bro yeah. overseeing the music <laughs> you try to leave yeah. yeah it's super fun I'm, but like like I'm gonna play with Schmidt tonight at the Winslow it's like oh, a awesome. fun like surprise like I'm sure my like my back and hands are not ready for that three hour <laughs> Yeah, three hour cajon gig, but it's gonna be like old times. Um, what else? Am I, we're doing other shit in LA, man. Like it's sure, like, just nonstop. Yeah, just like I'm constantly well, like like setting up writing sessions and trying to like develop relationships <laughs> with labels and publishers, and uh, constantly um, just looking how to make money, you know. But also help people, you know. Like the ri- rising tide raises all ships. So like. If we all work together and create a scene in a community, which is what I learned in New York, is how a uh, community can really support one another and lift everyone's status. So, yep. like, trying mm-hmm. to find a way to do that and, like, constantly reaching out to my New York homies, like, hey, dude, like, you got to check this out. Or, like, hey, like, let me do a little bit of this for you. Like, I'm helping Greg Mayo release his producer record. Oh, the new like, producer record, yes. It's, it's like, it's Just... all the homies. It's like, dude, like, I, I got to be a part of this. Like, I, no, I don't, you know, don't. There's no money being exchanged. It's just like, dude, a homie releasing a record. 
I can do it fast and effectively. Mm-hmm. Like what will take someone like a couple hours, I can do in 20 minutes. Yeah. Just because I do it so you often. You do it all the time. Yeah. It's like, dude, like, let, just send it to me. Like, I'll make sure it gets registered appropriately. Like, I'll, we'll, we'll distribute it. Like, we'll just do this, this, and this. And like, it'll be dope. And so, like, like that's exciting. So, always trying to keep like a- irons in the New York fire as well. Like, yeah. Well, you're here. I'm here producing about, a Broadway show, bro. So <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, the music line producer. Yeah, yeah. So like uh, I'm, uh, I'm assisting the assistant. I'm assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I mean, I've been well a f- fan of this podcast, and like it's fun because it's it's very it's fun for me because I listen to so much music. So like a lot of times when I'm taking the train, I was like, I don't want to listen to music, man. Like it's got to be a changeup, right? Yeah, I listen to a podcast, and it's cool. I can. Put, it's like it's you know I love. Uh, movie references and Almost Famous being one of my favorite movies I uh, you know I want to go to the record store and visit all my friends and it's like that's what the, this podcast has been it's like oh my god Bisky oh my god Paul Lauren oh my god Jeff Tui it's like oh my god this is so <laughs> much your fun homies, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of movies check this shit out I love this I was uh, just there's a thing called the Guild of Music Supervisors it's essentially like the the little union in LA of all the music supervisors the most hit on group of people totally. ever right everyone's so, like <laughs> yeah, everyone, yeah. <laughs> so like J- Jesse being cool uh, like it's like oh I'm too cool for you so like oh come hang so she got hired to sing uh, back you know do you did you see Deadpool yes uh, sexy one motherfucker yeah so like as a joke they opened up the awards a couple of years ago with that song and Jesse was one of the background singers so we got to like be like guests at the Music Supervisor Awards, and uh, wow. La La Land had just like swept the Oscars, and so we're in like the uh, uh, the talent green room, right? Where like all the like the presenters and performers are hanging out, and mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm just like, uh, Tom Everett Scott's over there, and like that thing you do is like my favorite movie of all time. And like, I just like, I'm being a weird fangirl. She's like, Ugh. she walks over and she's like, Hey, uh, my husband wants to talk to you. She thinks you're cool. <laughs> and they, they start, I can't hear any of this, but they're laughing and talking, like looking at me and pointing and Jesse's laughing. I was like, so he walks up, he's like, Hey man, uh, I'm your biggest fan, which is a line from the movie right? that he <laughs> <Yes>. says <laughs> to, uh, 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 uh uh, one of the characters, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then we start laughing and become like friendly. And uh, he's like, "Hey, we, you know, we, like we're like casual acquaintances now. Like we email back and forth." And amazing. He's he's like this, the fucking coolest guy. But he's like, "Dude, so we're planning a reunion, like uh, that thing you do reunion. Really? Like we're gonna like there's a thing called the goddamn comedy jam, with Josh Adam Adam Myers is the uh, uh, the host and creator, and he invites comedians to come up and essentially do live band karaoke. So like." Bill Burr is a huge uh, supporter. He's a drummer. Yeah. So yeah, he'll come up and do like. When he's 10, not helicoptering yeah. everywhere. He plays drums, right? And do like ten minutes of karaoke, or sorry, ten minutes of a, like a bit, and then he'll play like a song with the band, like drums, or sometimes he'll sing. And but they'll have like like Mark Maron is like a sick guitar player. Yep. I've, like I've, he he brought out like Tal Wilkenfeld and they played duo. <laughs> but like uh, like uh, Tom's like dude, we're gonna like. It's like everyone but like Lenny can do it. Like but like we're all gonna do it, and like it's a that's a secret. So like I I went. And like watch, you know, it was like a whole like thing that they did. They're like, oh, does anybody? Uh, our drummer hurt. Does anybody? Can anybody play the drums? And Tom Everett Scott raises his hand. They're like, oh yeah, uh, Skitch Patterson, come on up. And uh, it was pretty cool. I got to watch like the reunion. I filmed it and like on my phone and like posted it immediately, and it went fucking viral. And like all these like <laughs> like outlets started hitting me up for the footage. And like it was like Ethan Embry and, and Tom Everett Scott. And uh, forgive me, I forget the uh, the lead singer's name. But oh my god, that's amazing. it was it was it was like I, it was really cool. And like only in L.A. does that only shit in L.A. 
It's like what like is a, this club? So it's a goddamn comedy jam. It's like it's like a it's a, an event. Uh, this it was happening at the Roxy. So this was at okay. the Roxy. It was at the Roxy. It's not yeah. always at the Roxy, because I've I've seen videos of Bill Burr playing because I love him and I've seen videos of him like. Oh yeah, so he, many drummer videos of him. Oh yeah, he loves and like other comedians who get up and just like sing lead vocals on some like. Oh totally, but Metallica it's, jam yeah, or something. You know? I, I'm just funny because Zach Jones was in town for a, a great book world gig, and it's like, dude, I got this ticket. You want to come hang? And like he came, and it was, it's, it's he he could talk more about it, but it's fun. It's like it's like you've nothing you've ever seen. It's like the baddest comedians out there. Like they're all in L.A. So like, they're, they're all in L.A. right now because this is the. They're all yeah, looking, you know, yeah, they're yeah. all trying to get into acting and, uh, yep. but like you just, you watch these like incredible comedians, like just do this like unbelievable 10 minutes. <laughs> and then, then they, they like, and, uh, so I'm going to sing, you know, Journey. And it's like, it's, sometimes it's like, holy shit, this guy can sing. This guy can sing like, too? This is yeah. terrible, but it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean like, like a lot of that shit, I mean, that's some LA shit, man. They're We're all out like, there. Bert Kreisner. The only one who's not is Ari Shafir of that little crew. I mean, there, there is a whole subculture, you know, like the um, the Olive Tree Cafe, the Comedy Cellar. Like, th- there's like a ton of com- New York comedians. You know, it'll always be the New York and the. There's LA always factions. the New York thing, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool, man. LA's that's cool that you've gotten to dabble in that too, because I listened to Rogan a little bit, Mark oh, nice. obviously, yeah, and Marin's the man. He's the man. <laughs> it's cool. I mean, like, uh, it's like the actor musician thing. It's like there's lots of actors that like also play, and lots of musicians that always that also act and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do cross pollinate a lot, and like those worlds are really interesting. It's like it kind of existed in New York, but I mean, it is very evident in Los Angeles. Yeah. And, I mean, I never thought I could live in Los Angeles until I couldn't live in New York anymore, and then like <laughs> moved to LA, and it's like, oh, like man, there's a train. I can take the train. I can take. You, you figured know. it out, yeah. yeah. You you kind of find find your own way, and everybody's moving there. No pressure. Like, you know, everybody just, in LA is like, when are you moving here? You did talk about too, like the kind of the normalization of your life too. Like, uh, you know, you're making dinner at home. I ran into a, go to bed at nine o'clock. Yeah. yeah. I ran into like another New Yorker and he's like, it's really fun watching. It's been fun watching you reinvent yourself. Mm-hmm. I was like, I never thought of it like that. And he's like, you know, this is a bass player who's now like doing a lot of mastering work, like as a mastering engineer. And he's like, you know, I can relate. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I, I just didn't think about it. I just thought it was like an evolution. I didn't think it was like a, a reinvention. reinvention yeah. But it's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of like trying to play to your strengths and like hide your weaknesses or work on your weaknesses. And uh, I feel like my some of my strengths are like I do have a genuine passion for learning this crazy shit that is the music industry. I love yeah, spreadsheets. I, I love emails. I love organization. Yeah. Like it's, it's so You're incredibly clear communicator. Yeah. It's an acquired taste for sure. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like I'm no longer a fan of, you know, staying out till four in the morning and watching the sunrise. Like it's like, Oh, you I want, I want to be at home and I want to like, I want to be up at six and at home. And then, I mean, I still work all the time as a music manager. It really is like I have, Every artist is like another relationship I have in my life because I talk to them every day, mm-hmm. texting, email, phone calls, and like you know it's a constant process. Like the music manager now, like you, not everyone needs a manager. Everyone's like, oh, I don't, I need a manager. It's like, no, you yeah, don't. Maybe not yet. Like, yeah. what do you like? Do you are you really doing enough to warrant someone working on commission? Mm-hmm. Like, you can pay someone to do that work if you don't want to do it. But are you doing enough? Are you making enough money that if someone takes fifteen to twenty percent? They're going to be able to justify spending all that time, or that person has to really believe in you. you know, yeah. Like uh, I read a book, and they're like, "There's three types of managers. There's like 
the huge managers like the Scooter Bronze and like you work with them because of their connections and they you know they, if they make a phone call like the other person answers right yep. and there's like the the bottom which is like the friendager the momager the dadager like like the really passionate fan who's like just really wants to help but doesn't know what they're doing and then like there's like the the middle level person which is where I'm hovering it's like like the person who has the knowledge and has like the passion but uh, you know might not have the connections yet but they're they're more than a fan like I they, you know, that that person needs to make money to justify being part of that to team. Be working with you, yeah. So trying to uh, kind of like live that life. So it's like you know, a lot of it is like getting up at six a.m. because like L.A. is already awake, London's already been awake. So it's like getting up and like getting a head start in emails before L.A. wakes up and starts doing shit. Yeah, it's like you a, have to be up at six. My day is like up at six, you know, making coffee, you know. Get the coffee going. Get on email emails. by like yeah. 6.30 or 7. A lot of times phone calls, 7 or 8 o'clock with East Coast shit. And then, you know, work to about 11, now take a shower, and then like walk to the train. Mm-hmm. And like in the office between like noon or 1, work till about like uh, 6 or 8. And if it's like, if I have to like a happy hour meeting, like a... I have to, you know, you split the office yep. and go to that meeting or going to a show or, you know, if it's like a night off, a lot of times I'll just work till like eight until, you know, there's no traffic and then like cruise home. Cruise um, home in 18 minutes instead of uh, 60. That's <laughs> smart. So, to get, smart. So, yeah, so go to get from the Kilphonic offices to North Hollywood probably takes like 20 to 30 minutes when there's no traffic. It's just like 101 the whole way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at like... Se- uh, seven o'clock on a weekday, two hours. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, dude. But yeah, no, it doesn't. But Why? The How normalization is Im- so much. You're yeah. totally. I mean, it's a part of getting older. You know, like we're like it is a part of getting everyone's older, having kids. People are, you know, you just like your body changes. Like you know, you, you just need to start like thinking, you know, eating better and like exercising and like absolutely. Doing- and LA is very conducive to both those things. It is. It's, it's like, very healthy. Uh, climate whether Jesse's celiac so like it's part of the reason why she likes LA because like they ask you it's like oh you're gluten free they don't go like do you have any dietary restrictions yes but she goes I'm gluten free and they're like they don't make fun of her they're like oh is it an, an allergy or a preference and she goes I'm really allergic I'm actually if you yeah. want, that's like the exorcist like if she gets glutened like mm-hmm. projectile vomiting Ugh. it's like it's it's bad and it's yeah. like oh my god that's it's so great that people are informed and are asking and the culture's starting to come to the East Coast, but like that's been great in LA, and there is a little more work-life balance out there, which mm-hmm. is cool. Like I come here and I like I think I'm like I act like I'm 25, and and I, <laughs> well, I pay the price. Yeah. You, know what I mean? <laughs> you come back because you act like, like after living in LA, you come back. It's like oh, I, I just you fall into this like rhythm. Like, oh, I know, work. I know this. This is familiar. Yeah, like I, I can go and like. Do boom meeting 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 gig 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 gig, gig. and like and like this. coffee 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 coffee, beer 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 yeah and then like you wake up the next day and you're like what the fuck happened I used to be able to do this like like every, every day, day. And wake yeah. up and no, like feel like Superman and like now it's no, like no way you know more than three cups of co- three cups of coffee is a lot now yeah. <laughs> Like, it's about, like, two is, like, the magic number. Two is the magic number, yeah. And then having, you know. And then In New like, York, like, yeah, three ha- is a minute. Having, like, two drinks at happy hour so it's cheap and, then like, then I'm you're done. and That's it. Call go, the courts, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Go home and, you know, make dinner, uh, 
catch up on the latest pop culture television show and then like, yeah you got to be dialed in in la everybody knows every actor you got to talk about all the tv and movies right that's yeah. work study man especially that's when you're like in sync and licensing where like, you're listening like oh like who's getting placed what are the trends like trying to identify trends in music like the dark cinematic pop thing is really big right now and like mm-hmm. like identifying that and like trying to stay on top of future trends so you can try to like write music in that direction and get it into the music supervisors before the trend starts happening and like you know the Billie Eilish sound-alikes are a big thing right now that's really gotta hard. be all the rage right now yeah because no one can afford the license or music so it's like cool like what is like the hot thing you know like, yep. like how do we how do we make it sound like it without being a direct rip off and yeah uh, the Freya writing stuff which is like orchestral uh, dark pop um yeah, just trying to identify those trends. And yeah, what's next? What's what is next? next? Like, what is the next big thing, you know? So then what is the future for Ryan Vaughn? What's next? What's uh, the future? You can tie future, take man. us home. The, so the, yeah, the, the management, yeah, this, editing's got to be a bitch. You probably don't, do you edit a lot of this stuff? Mm-mm. Oh, nice. No, I like that. I like the realness of it, you know? The, yeah, yeah. That is, that's why I think people like podcasts. Totally. You can, right. There's it's no like, there's no censorship. Like there's hearing no. people fuck up their own shit, you know, you're like, oh. But your memory is inflammable, so you make no mistakes. You're just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's unbelievable. That's your a, memory that's of that 2005 through 2008 was un. That's uh, amazing. Oh man. Uh, I mean, really, like, like really investing in the management thing. Like we're. Uh, you just know, keep growing that, working on that. Yeah, because you're trying, like, trying to break artists is challenging. So, like, a lot of our work goes into kind of cleaning up the back end, making sure it's a well-oiled machine, and then mm-hmm. like pulling it out of the garage and seeing if we have any like buyers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But like, also just you know, the things that will never change is like to- releasing, writing, and releasing good music, and touring. Like, they will always be important. And there's and no- merch. Yeah, having merch is important to a degree. Like, don't, like, take out a bank loan to, like, make sure you have merch on tour. <laughs> because if, you, cool shirts. if no one's coming to the show, you're fucked. Yeah, yeah. Like, you have just massive debt. So it's, like, finding this, like, like balance of, like, you know, trying to keep help artists stay in the black, how to do everything really smart. And, like, that's why we started doing everything in-house because we can start cutting out middlemen and saving everybody money. Yeah. The artists, t- like, make more money. Uh, they don't, they're not expected to, like, you know, pay everybody to, to do everything. But uh, continually growing these artists, like, it'd be, you know, we talk about, like, daydreaming. Like, it'd be great to have, like, one massive artist. Like, you know, a lot of the successful managers have one giant artist that they're able to snowball baby artists off of. Like, yeah. Scooter Braun and Justin Bieber. Like, he found Bieber, like, nurtured it and, like, grew it into this giant Monster. thing. And then, like, was able to just break artist Juggernaut. after artist. Yeah, yeah. Like, Tori Kelly. Like, uh, there's a bunch of other ones in there. But, like, he was able to just, like... You're going to open for Bieber until you have a fan base, and mm-hmm. we can see the metrics. And then when we think you have a big enough fan base, we'll do your own tour. And then, like, when you're big enough, we'll put somebody else in front of you, and, like, they'll open for you. And, like, just created this machine. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Like, Brilliant. Can yeah. we do it, like, in a way that we feel is more, maybe more ethical or more, like, uh, our kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, trying to empower artists is more of our spiel. Like, like we don't want to make – the goal is not to make money from artists because there's so many managers out there that – don't understand the royalty stuff. They don't understand what it's like to be an artist. I think why I have such a special uh, bond with the artists that I work with is because I've done it. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't ask them to do something I wouldn't have done. I've slept in my car. I've toured around the world. I've been broke. You know what I mean? I've worked yeah. odd jobs to make sure I could still do my art. And, like, I can speak that language. I like to say I speak two languages. You know, I speak 
American and musician. <laughs> I can I can talk to an artist and like like I can I can they relate and I can speak their language and I can explain things to them. And they're like, oh, I get this, and it's like there's like a trust there too that is really important that I'm very grateful to have from being a sideman for so long. That like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I, I I people like trust me because I've been there. I'm not just coming in and trying to manage people. I'm not trying to. Calephonic isn't that's what's cool is like Caleb's kind of the similar thing. He was just like, I just want to advocate for my friends and family and like it'd be really awesome if we all made a lot of money eventually and trying to find a way to to do that. And like if we happen to have like a the opportunity to work with a much larger artist that we're, would help all of our other artists, that it would be will awesome. happen. It will happen. So it's I mean that's happen. the future is kind of like continuing to grow the brand and continuing to fight the good fight and like we're still like fleshing out our uh, royalty admin situation because there's a lot of like red tape that we have to go through to be able to like have the various YouTube portals and have the various like relationships with the different uh, collection agencies like you know there's like um, like PRO the performing rights organization and then there's I think they call them CMOs in Europe like the collection management organizations because they Mm -hmm. also will collect your mechanicals for you why America doesn't do that who knows but we can make direct relationships with them and administrate publishing for all of our artists ourselves, which we started doing. SoCan and SACM in Mexico and trying to just start with North America and start growing out into like, you know, going to the UK and, and start looking at Europe and, you know, uh, Buma in the Netherlands and like going down into like the Brazil and like starting to make direct relationships. And uh, eventually we'd love to like be able to administrate all the royalties. And the idea is taking an artist getting them to a point where like we're doing everything in house and then start outsourcing to bigger partners like cool now let's get a booking agent now let's look for like a pub admin deal now let's look for a sync and licensing partner let's now let's look for a label partner Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like all those things only make sense when the time is right like a label isn't going to fix everything a publisher is not going to fix everything but if you continue to write and release good music promote it and tour like it's gonna happen. It's like it just takes time. Just takes time. Just takes time. Time and money. So you know, <laughs> you need you need uh, that finding investment is the hard, is hard too. Like yeah, that is. How, how do we how do we keep everything afloat? How mm-hmm. how how does an art like an artist, you know, some of them just have a really great knack at finding money, or they are able to work odd jobs in 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 secret. You know what I mean? Like they you know they have a day gig, or they're a graphic designer that they can do on the road. Or artists are very very savvy. Savvy like that, yeah. So, you know, money money is the, the biggest obstacle, I think, for most independent musicians because everything is very expensive. Everything's expensive. It's so expensive, yeah. I mean, you're an artist. Like, promoting your music is... Marketing is expensive. Like, like <clears throat> you know, the, uh, um, the dreaded... The word no one wants to hear is publicist. Like, <laughs> it's like publicists can charge 500 a month to $3,500 a month. For and, and no, no guarantee. No yeah. guarantee. Like, that, that's you know, the brilliant... It's, Business, uh, to business go into. model. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> pay me money, and like uh, I, I can't guarantee you any results. I'll get you a blog. But like the in really, Belgium. the yeah. really great publicists, like it's like they do amazing work. It's like music managers are the same thing. There's like the really great music managers can like really empower yeah. an artist and move them forward. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of people that are t- like taxing dreams. You know, they're just like the the thing in LA we make fun of is there's a lot of managers that they sign an artist. They talk them into signing publishing and label deals. They commission those advances, and then they fuck off. Go find another artist that they can, because they're going to take that. It's a fucking hustle. Yeah. The, the, the hustle actually is it's un, lucrative. It's unpaid, actually. Mm. 
like all the all the work of like like cleaning up the back end and like all like all like the dirty work there's no income so there's nothing there's nothing commissionable about it mm-hmm. so it's like man all that work really requ- you really need to love the artist that you're working with personally emotionally uh, uh, like the the music I was, when I say like you have to physically love their music like I, I have to love putting on the head, head headphones and listening to these artists music like Chris Ayer's new record check it out it's fucking awesome it's good music like yeah. I love what listening to like his it. songs like it's like uh, which is why I've been you know he was the first artist I started managing and we're st- like I'm still working on his team which is awesome and he's I love his music and he's continues to grow mm. like he's, he's getting better as a writer and as a singer as a performer and like really growing into this like wonderful well-rounded artist but he he listens and like it's like you know we we butt heads sometimes but like at the end of the day there's no hurt feelings it's like i'm advising him and he has to decide does he like my advice or not and sometimes you'd be like i disagree like cool you're the boss <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I'm the hand of the king or the hand of the queen. Like I'm here to tell you. Yeah, here's my opinion. Here's what I think you should here's do. What I think here's what I know. Here's and what I've like, seen. You know, but do you? Yeah, yeah. two out of three Ultimately, times I take my advice, and occasionally the artist goes like, "I disagree," and you're like, "Cool, that's." I still have to support that decision, and you just have to love that person enough to stand by them, even mm-hmm. though if, like you, you know, sometimes they're right and I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right and they're wrong, and. We're learning together. We're growing together. The Jerry Maguire thing, you know what I mean? We're like, they finally get, like, he finally gets the money to play with the Arizona Cardinals. And, like, they're, like, crying and hugging. And everyone's like, I want that. Like, I I said the same thing. It's like, I want that. I want that kind of relationship with my artists. Yeah. I want to be, like, crying and hugging when we have a victory, even no matter how small. Like, I, we got a we got a Spotify got playlist. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got an editorial playlist. Oh my god, drinks on me. Yeah, <laughs> happy hour. We're going to happy hour. Right? Happy hour. Well, right, and then maybe you said get a publishing entity. That was your one piece of advice. What's your yeah, yeah. deal? I thought that would be a nice way to kind of yeah. Because I do think I have some younger listeners. Past yeah. students, right? Like, what is some? What is if you had one piece of advice to give, uh, like a young artist? One piece of advice. I mean, uh, well, it could be more than one, but something like because think about all these. I'm, I'm watching all these. You know, I see it just because I've taught them, and now they're like they're entering into the workforce. You know, and everybody's going. And no, there's no. And you, I'm watching them. I'm like, try it. I don't know. You know, I, I have no. There's no. No one's pigeonholed this, but like what. All right, I got it. I'll, I'll give you my piece of advice, and I'll share it's, a piece of advice somebody else one, shared. A yeah. free one, yeah. I would, yeah. I would, there are no shortcuts. Like, there is no way to game the system. There is no fast track. There is no... Uh, there, there, there's no circumventing the reality of the hard work. We talked about, you know, we talk about the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, like, mm-hmm. whether that's arbitrary or he actually calculated it, like, like it, it's a great analogy because, like, you really need to put in that time. Like, there's no way to go from zero to hero because, like, if the, the music goes there too fast and it's not good or prepared, it's going to get, like, ridiculed and shot down. Like, you really need to, you know, be ready for that break. So, like, putting it, like, there is no, like, magic way, like, how do I get on Spotify playlists? It's like, no one knows. <laughs> That's Spotify the is perfectly right is very very secretive, and if anyone tells you they can get you on Spotify playlists, they're full of shit. They're full of shit. Run well, that's away. the advice right there. Then, like, there I mean, you like, go, right? yes, if you're the priority at a Pay. major label, and like, like, they, you will probably get on some playlists, but like, there's no, there's no shortcut. There's not like no one's gonna like. It's like there's everyone's guessing, and like, 
knowledge is power, you know, read books, ask questions. I say there's no shortcuts. You're going to have to put in the hard work and like uh, uh, don't don't pay to play, man. Like that's like, like you can't buy your way in. Like you can't pay paying for a playlisting service isn't going to help. Paying for uh, advice is probably not going to work. Like just keep your eyes on like write good music and tour. Yeah, and that, that, that's like if I have to give one piece of advice, that's it. Is like yeah. do the dirty work, like t- like try co-writing, try everything. Like mm-hmm. play shitty clubs, play bars, play. You know, like Chris, I love Chris. I'll throw him under the bus because he was just like, I don't do bar gigs, blah blah blah. And like he started playing bar gigs, and like his performance level jumped. Like he he all of a sudden became like a much more compelling front man because he's like he is logging all these hours and hours just doing it right. Yeah. Drunk people don't give a shit. But then like like you find like John Schmidt's like the magician. Like he find he found found a way to play where like he doesn't care what people think, but like he can silence a bar of Kill drunk bar. people like that. Yep. And it's like that's he's magic. He's got a hundred thousand hours in. Yeah. Totally. And like when Chris started doing it, it's like we all sat back and watched him just like elevate his game. Like, dude, like you sound amazing on your solo stuff now because like he, he can he learned how to like manipulate that audience like without being like, Hey, shh, why are you on your phone? Turn off your phone. Like like be like you know, you do the, Did it with the you music. get like yeah, you learn how to like control people through like like subconsciously and through body language and dynamics and so like it's uh uh don't turn your nose up at anything. Oh fuck, what was his name? There was a good uh, a, a guy early on and he was just he wrote a book. His whole philosophy is like, just say yes. He's like, I get called for a gig, and it's like, hey man, you got to play piano and sing. And he's like, I was a piano player, I couldn't sing, and I was like, yep, cool, I can do it. And he's like, I had to learn how to sing, and he's like, it was just a fucking yes. disaster, but I did it. Yeah, you and do now, it. And now I, I sing on gigs, and I get hired to do that. So, just yeah, be open to everything within reason. And there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. Uh, the only other was funny is like that I, when I said have a publishing entity is because we went to this like panel on the MLC with like and had all these like like Indian major publishers speaking and uh uh of uh, God rest his soul dude Busby was on the panel and talking and like mm-hmm. uh, it was just really interesting it was like a room full of like m- music industry insiders and like we were there and uh uh this like independent publisher who was on the the board I think he ran the AIMP Association of Independent Music Publishers um, and then there's like the NMPA, the National Music Publishers Association, which is like more of the major publishers. So the AIMP is like, I was just like the good guys, NMPA, the bad guys. Yeah. Um, but like he got up and he's like, I'm just going to start this whole thing. It's completely off topic, but like, please, please, please get a publishing entity. <laughs> he's like, do <laughs> all of us a favor. Yeah. He's like, you can't complain about not getting paid if you're not registering your music. And he's like, I think ASCAP it's free or it's pretty easy to get a waiver. BMI you can get the waiver. It's like 150 bucks, but like start your publishing entity, register it with all of your music, and then when you submit your music for streaming, put your full like legal name that's associated with your PRO as the com- and like then then we have a fighting chance to actually match money to How the composer. How many times that's been fucked up? That's that's got to go in. I mean, there's an artist the like rules I, of three, I, right? I, that's I, like an easy one. Yeah, and everybody's fucking that up. I, there's like an I, artist I will not mention their name, but it was they, they were like, I, man, I've never made a cent off of BMI, and he's like, it's so great. And I was like, cool. Like, I mean, you've got a bunch of music. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, did you register your stuff? He's like, no. Don't they do that for me? I was like, no. 
you have to tell them. Uh, he, and God. like they're they're gonna know I'm talking about them. Like, and I, I promised I would help them sort all this, and I, I promise I will. I'll get to it. Uh, it's like, right. I'm, I'm waiting for like that Christmas break when I can catch up on busy work. But uh, yeah, you have to you have to do the hard work. You have to. Artists need to know this shit, man. You need to, dude. You need to, you know, send me an email. I'll send you what I call my artist homework package. Mm-hmm. And it's got, like, all of the links to, like, all the profiles that you can claim. Check out Amp. Check out uh, uh, Next Big Sound. Check out Songkick, Bands in Town. They have managers, like, like uh, portal managers. Check You can have a, 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 a ma- your portal manager for Spotify, for Apple Music. You can submit your shit to Pandora. You can do ads and Pandora for free. Like, hey, I'm coming to your city. Hey, hey, Atlanta, uh, check me out on May 23rd. I'm playing 80s Attic. Would love to see you. And they'll run that shit for free on the stations that play your music. Yeah. And you can geotag it. It's free. You can do advertisements for free on these things. You can track and see where you're trending and use that to influence like where you're going to go and try to play a show and like I feel like you have a uh, like a book here Ryan it's like you've written a song you've recorded you mastered it now what you yeah take you know and like you have a yeah, and my you know, little homework like package is like a page book here a bunch of templates like here's a here's what I call like the royalty template where it's like you input uh, it's got every, everything that you would ever need to fill out these repertoire sheets that I've been talking about for Sound Exchange for Harry Fox for you know the, for the forthcoming MLC like uh, you're gonna, you know, knowing your ISRCs, knowing your ISWCs, knowing the UPCs, knowing where your stuff's being distributed, knowing like all the composers, like and their IPI numbers and their affiliated publishing and their IPI numbers, knowing the track length, because like when you get into uh, when you start getting in the sync and licensing, there's a every, there's a thing called disco, not like the '70s like John Travolta disco, but like DISCO. It's like the new standard for submitting music mm-hmm. to music supervisors. It's uh, um, it's like a, a service similar to SoundCloud where you can stream it, but you can put all the metadata into the playlists, create custom playlists, and it allows music supervisors to download an MP3 wave and AIFF. All the music supervisors are moving towards AIFF because it's the only high-res file that you can embed data into. Yep. Um, but like, like in order, you put all like that information into these playlists, and music supervisors open it, and they like they don't have to do any work. And you want to do that for them, so they go, "Oh, why wouldn't I just license Paul? License Paul? License Paul's music? He does all the work for me. It's like yeah. everything's there, all the publishing information, so I can clear it like that. Boom. It's got all the, uh, you know, it's got the BPM, it's got the length of the track, it's like, you know, it's got the moods, it's got genre, it's got like all that. That's what they need. You want to make everyone's life easier, so they want to work with you. But yeah, send me an email, Ryan at Killfun. Ryan, g- yes, what this is. This is too so much information. Thank you for being generous and open and <laughs> telling us, sharing so much, taking time. Your busy schedule. It's gonna yeah. save me like an hour meeting with a hundred people. <clears throat> like, I'll just I, do this one podcast, and they can all get the <laughs> they can all get the info. Connect with Ryan directly. Don't be a shy little bear and <laughs> hit him I, up. Uh, yeah, yeah. If I don't answer, just give me a day. Give him one day. All he needs is one day. He's emailing all day. Ryan, thank you so much for Paul, taking the thank time. Thank you. Uh, please, hey, all like I love this podcast. Please support this podcast. All of my friends are on this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's the homies, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, this is the shit. Like I'm, I've been a big fan, so I like I appreciate you entertaining me, <laughs> pulling your coattails and be like, hey, hey Paul. No, I asked you first. <laughs> I said, Ryan, let's do one. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. A, we, we needed the time to align. So. Yes, I'm, I'm glad we found it. Uh, yeah, man. To be continued. Hopefully, the next time we do this, we'll be talking about uh, all these other accolades. We'll be we'll be, uh, we'll be older and wiser, and hopefully a little richer. <laughs> Cheers to that, Ryan. 
thank you so much. See you soon, baby. I hope so. Okay. Right here, right now, I put the offer out. I don't want to chase you down. I know you see it. You run with me, and I can cut you free out of the treachery and walls you keep in. So trade that typical for something colorful. And if it's crazy, live a little crazy. You can play it sensible, a king of conventional. Or you can risk it all and see. trapped in now i admire you and that'll show you do you're onto something really it's something but i live among the swells and we don't pick up peanut shells i'll have to leave that up to you I'd be the talk of the town Disgraced and disowned Another one of the clowns But you would finally live a little Finally laugh a little Just let me give you the freedom to dream And it'll wake you up And cure your aching Take your walls and start them breaking Now that's a deal That seems worth taking But I guess I'll leave that up to you intriguing but to go would cost me greatly so what percentage of the show would i be taking well fair enough you'd want a piece of all the action i'd give you seven we could shake and make it happen i wasn't born this morning 18 would be just fine uh, why not just go ahead and ask for nickels on the dime 15 i do eight 12 maybe nine 